Hello, everybody. Welcome to Frame Trap. I will be your host, Ben Moore. Today, I'm joined by Brandon Jones. Hi. <laughs> Did I catch a mid-drink there, Brandon? Yep. And Bradley Ellis. Yo. Uh, guys, I, I missed the studio, of course, but I think when Huber says he missed the studio, anytime Huber like expresses this disappointment, I feel like it amplifies my own disappointment. And he's been saying that recently, and now I feel, I feel it especially. Um, I think I miss just being able to come in and like I like I'll be at home, right, playing all these games. I get all these thoughts, and I love going into the studio and just unleashing that with you guys. Like Brad, mm -hmm. you and I do a lot of that, mm -hmm. uh, and that's super fun. But I was just curious, what do you guys miss most about the studio? Five hour energy. <laughs> that's no, it. No, just say it. Fuck the allies. I wish I could say it's that kidding. that personal human touch, but it's it's really just yeah. I do I do miss hanging out with you guys, just shooting the shit, talking games, sitting mm -hmm. on the couch together, playing something, handing off the controller. Miss it, man. There's not a lot of surprise ally, you know, showing up now. Like if, if you sign up for a show or you sign up for a reaction, like you know who's going to be there before. Yeah. It was always kind right. of fun turning a corner and like, oh, hey, you know, like, oh, that's right. Yeah, friend code shooting today. What's up, guys? How'd it go? You know, guests coming by. It's like mm -hmm. guests come by on something and I, you know, find out sometimes when it's posted on our YouTube channel. <laughs> Whereas it's just always nice to, to thank people for coming in and being a part of our stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> on top of that, I guess, how do you, how do you feel like quarantine EZA has gone? <laughs> what, have, what have you learned? Uh, I, I think it's been going as good as it can go, kind mm -hmm. of. Like, we're all still doing it. Nothing's exploded yet that I'm aware of. Nothing's been, like, deleted that I'm aware of where we've lost so much time and, like, effort. Yeah. So I think it's going pretty good. It's funny because uh, in the studio, there, there would be things that we would learn. Like, we'd have bad cards or... Yeah. Something would go wrong, we'd learn and we fix it. And I felt like we finally got to a point where it's like, okay, things are going pretty consistent in the studio. <laughs> and then Yeah, that's true. Just trying to record frame trap at home. It's like, oh no, I forgot to do that or this or whatever. And yeah, you learn all over again, baby. That yeah, it's beautiful. Be being in this business as long as I have been, that that dream of stopping learning stuff just is it never it happens. Fool's errand. Yeah. <laughs> it's not there's <laughs> just always gonna be one some new software, some new filter something uh something that could break but it's an adventure it's a, it's an adventure uh what else is an adventure is this gigantic game that just came out on friday today mm, today yeah uh we've had it for a while review copy provided by playstation brad you reviewed mm -hmm. it That's and right. i'm really excited to dig into some impressions because I've, sure. I've been all over the place with it uh and that is oh yeah yeah i'm curious to hear all your takes yeah ghost of Sushima? Is that is Sushima? That? Sushima. Yeah. Sushima. I had to go back through the review and put that T in that. Poor Sushima. Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Poor you're Brandon. Champ though, Brandon. You did. Because you really again, if you just if you just wait, if you just put a little pause, Sushima, like you can focus on it. But when it's right in the middle of a sentence, there, right. like, sometimes it's and it, it, you never know what words just are not going to work. Like there's some sentence that's like a good, a well-written sentence. That if you were reading this on you yeah. know, LA Times or something, you'd be like, la, 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 la. What a good point. Whereas like you read it out loud and it's like, that rhymes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I can't, <laughs> I don't think that comes across the way it was intended. So, but I think I got them all right. I don't know. Uh, obviously I know how far I am in it. And Brad, mm -hmm. I know that you finished it. Mm -hmm. Jones, I have no idea where you're at with Ghost. I had, a, I had a good evening with it. 
Okay. So I think I'm about four or five hours in. Okay. Uh, and then I have that. That was like, I think the night <laughs> we got it. Oh, okay. It's just like, let's do it. Cause I knew like the next couple weeks, you know, <laughs> I had busy. a couple, I had a couple reviews back to back. Hadn't done reviews in a while. Uh, we had a bunch of reactions uh, that we did. There's a bunch of events, you know, like Devolver and UB kind of took up the weekend. And um, so it's, yeah, not for lack of, and it's funny because even all the negative stuff that I'm hearing about the game is just like, let's do it. You know, they're like, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of repetitive. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I think that's what like, I wanted just, to focus on. All you do is just run around and do stuff, and I'm like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yep, yeah. Like yep, Ghost yep. Recon Wildlands is, is awful. It's it's a you know it's it's not it's a game that needs work. It's a game that you know should have done other things in development, and I played all of it you know voraciously. So, so when uh, you when you look at something like Ghost, because it's it's huge, like it's a yeah, massive mm -hmm. game, uh, yeah. and there there's a ton of stuff to do. A lot of like outposts and fortresses to clear. A lot of foxes to chase after a lot of bamboo to cut a lot of hot springs yeah. to uncover are you just like i'm i'm doing all of it like oh, i know yeah. you know I it's know. like ben it's like you look at a giant bowl of ramen you know there's a lot going on there's the, yeah. you know tomatoes some noodles you know a little spice here and there some veggies so you know some some greenery you're not quite just a kale i don't know what that is but i'm eating all of it that's all right I know. right a bowl of ramen does not take 50 hours to consume though it does not <laughs> that'd be a good bowl of ramen depends how you eat the ramen it's true. The, the, like the scam. Is there like a Guinness Book hours. of World Records for person slowest eating ramen? Maybe. Sure. Uh, Brad. Yeah. You reviewed it. Uh, yeah. I, I I know. I feel like you and I have very similar tastes in a lot of things, and I know mm -hmm. that you're obviously a big fan of From Software. You're a big fan of good combat in general. Mm -hmm. uh, you like samurai stuff quite a bit. You like Sucker Punch quite a bit. Uh, what? How did you kind of? feel about this game initially and then how did your feelings change over time so when i first started the game it starts very simple i would mm -hmm. say you know very very small your what you could do with your sword is very limited the amount of tools you have is very limited yeah but i feel like the game really introduces a lot as you go through throughout the game like just for example you start with one stance and by the end, you have four stances that you can play around with. And they feel yeah. different. And it's like, you use this stance for this kind of thing. You get a ton of tools to work with, like kunai, smoke bombs, firecrackers. They give you like a ton of stuff to play with. So I feel like there's a nice progression mm -hmm. of you learning new. I was thinking about this when I was playing the game, though, is the, the open world situations of balancing difficulty and right. whatnot. So I played this whole game on hard, which I, I think is... Where I prefer for, or I would recommend all of you to play it. Yeah. But in open world games, there is this freedom you have of you can do what you want kind of when you want a lot of the times, especially right. in this game, because there's no like level lockout to do a quest or anything. You don't have to level up to do this quest. Like I think Odyssey had something like that. Yeah. The, the only thing, and it's certainly not a level gate in the way that Odyssey does, like you're talking about. The only thing is, is like sometimes you'll, you'll reach an area and it's like, this is an area of overwhelming force. It's like, okay, well, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not supposed to be here right now, but yeah, for but the like, most part, yeah, for you the can most part, do, you can pretty much do yeah. what you want. Like even multiple part quests you can do in different orders. Yeah. So like you can do part five if you want before part four, if you really want to. Right. But I, uh, I did like, I think this is just the nature of open world games. Every single open world game I play, you can get powerful real quick. Right. And I did at a point, like Grab was like, man, I'm a little too powerful, I feel like, but I run in this, this is an issue I run into every single open world game. But right. I think there are some instances where the game definitely pushes back at you a bit, especially in like there's duels that I yeah. think that really like focus you in, like on just the sword combat. 
so yeah, I think the experience gets better as it goes on. Definitely. Um, I do like that you can switch difficulty on the fly. Um, mm-hmm. Because I was playing on normal at for for a good chunk of it, probably probably like ten hours on normal, mm-hmm. and I was just like I. I don't have to think at all. Like this is yeah. this is way too easy. And I turned it up on hard and I still am running into the problem that you described, Brad, Brad mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, I think I'm a little bit too powerful, but mm-hmm. at least it's pushing back um, yeah. some more. Um, the duels in particular are are great. I don't think yeah, they're, they're all highlights. created equals. Like some are better than others, but there's, they really push There's your... definitely some really cool ones late game. Yeah. And where I was like, or I died like four or five times in a duel. Yeah. Like, Great. This is awesome. One of the, the hardest duel that I've done so far was not like a, a side quest or story mandated duel. It was just out mm-hmm. in the open world and I just found it and I engaged yeah. in it and it was like, Oh man, like it, yeah. it was so brutal that I really had to think like, okay, how do I deal with this attack? Like it wasn't just, you have to dodge it or you have to block it or parry it or whatever. It was, you have to dodge it in this specific way or interrupt mm-hmm. it in this specific way. And so I really loved um, when it pushed me like that mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I think I'm finally at a point and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this where they're making the enemy compositions a little bit more demanding. I think for yeah. too long, it's like the same compositions of enemies copy pasted where it's like it a couple sword guys, a couple shield guys, they, a couple spear. It, like we said before, it's a very tricky thing in balancing an open world Absolutely. game with so much freedom. And I do feel like, yeah, like a lot of the dudes are fighting at the beginning are just sword dudes, maybe yeah. a spear guy once in a while and a couple bow guys, but then they start introducing more interesting yeah. groups. Yeah, and now, because it, it's divi- the game is divided up into like three huge sections. Mm-hmm. And I would say like, now that I'm, I'm deeper into the second chunk, mm-hmm. um, and you can kind of spend as much time as you want each chunk because there's so much to do. Um, I'm definitely having a better time for sure. And man, (laughs) the landscapes of this game are just unreal. It's kind of crazy how good it looks. Yeah. The draw, I think like aspects like his draw distance being so good really help. Absolutely. Make that world feel huge. Like when I've been playing Breath of the Wild recently also, and I like that game has a crazy good view distance, especially for a Wii U game that's on Switch. I think that really excels the, that adventurous feeling you get when you just look over the horizon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not only uh, just how good it looks from from a technical perspective, but but how meticulous it is and how diverse the world feels. I think again that really comes into play when mm-hmm. you kind of get to the second chunk of the game and you have an even bigger landmass that's connected to the first and you can kind of go from the first landmass to the second landmass and you can see like oh like the march is completely different from the forest which is completely different from these mountains which is completely different from this shrine um it's really 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 cool um Mm -hmm. just fun to walk around that world for sure yeah it's a beautiful world man mm-hmm. yeah photo modes begin a lot of play on social media oh of course just, like they man they bound that to like the right d-pad like they're they want you to use that oh, thing yeah. maybe yeah i um i always forget about photo mode in games i just never do it i just never take the time to do it but this would definitely I totally be understand that yeah if i do it i have to be like in a mood but it's not very often mm-hmm. i think um Brad, you you talked about that balance in the open world, and I think something that I'm not always satisfied with in Ghost is 
the balance between stealth and sword combat where mm-hmm. when I'm doing the sword combat, I, I really like playing with all the systems, uh, switching the stances, using all my tools. But I feel like the game isn't quite as well tuned for stealth as no, it is not. for sword, sword combat. combat. Yeah. And I feel like I'm just so powerful with stealth and the AI really isn't there for mm-hmm. it. Like there are a lot of times mm-hmm. where like, it's like th- they should have seen me or they're just kind yeah. of running back and forth in a nonsensical way, or they're just completely oblivious to everything I'm doing. And I'm like, ah, I, I like that the option is there and it's mm-hmm. fun to kind of, you know, find your own way through a fortress uh, and dismantle people. But uh, yeah, I don't know. So, like the smoke kinda, bomb is crazy That's kind of my biggest criticism of the game mm. is the AI like, like you should be rewarded definitely for doing stealth because you put in the time to do it. But I feel like it's so easy to do and take advantage of. Yeah. You can diffuse a situation, I think, easier than you should. Yeah. Like when I think about a game like Sekiro, so Sekiro doesn't have great stealth either. Right. But I feel like when you really work for it and you get one of those kills on like a huge guy, even just to take away a huge bar, that's a big deal. That can make a huge difference. I feel like at a point in the game, you get there a little too quick where it doesn't, it doesn't feel as a big deal when you land that stealth kill on someone. Right. And I think a a big part of that is like you mentioned Sekiro. I I feel like there's a hard limit to how much you can accomplish with stealth. Right. Where it's like, yes, you can use it, but it's just not going to be able to get you through some things where Mm -hmm. um, if, if you use like, if you upgrade a certain way, right. Where you get, you can do chain assassinations. You can just smoke bomb, do one smoke bomb and kill three guys for free and completely skip the whole dance with them. And I think that's fine. Mm -hmm. I think that's fine that that's a very powerful option, but a lot of times I would use a smoke bomb, kill dudes, and then they would just drop a smoke bomb. And so yeah, I just game, I, I just filled up a little bit too quickly. You could like buy consumables like that to refill, right. but I don't think I ever bought one throughout mm. the whole time. I didn't need to. Yeah, I think I think as long as you're poking around, you uh, get enemies will s- drop stuff. So much stuff you can use, and it's all pretty damn powerful, dude. Yeah. Like the smoke bomb you said, you get the exploding arrow. Yeah. The kunais can be insane. Like The kunais are insane. The yeah. sticky bombs, it's like, man, you have so many powerful tools to deal with all this stuff. Right. Like, it's really fun that you got all that, but yes, it can diminish some of the challenge if you're looking for that. It's it's funny, you know, you make the comparison to Sekiro, and, and like, I think the way Sekiro is advertised, and the way a lot of From Software games are, are advertised is oh my God, look at this challenge that this character is walking toward. There's right. a lot of like beginnings of boss fights and it's just mm-hmm. basically senses like you you are in for it. Like you're in trouble in this mm-hmm. game. Like this, when you see this guy come around a corner, when this door opens up, like you better get focused. And almost every single ad I saw for Tsushima was like, everyone in this world is screwed. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just going to dominate. Yeah. Like no one has a chance. It's definitely- and I wonder if like that kind of was their thinking behind making you so powerful yeah. that it is a revenge tale. You know, like you are, mm-hmm. you are kind of like a Batman character who is just sweeping in and taking names. Well, so I wonder if like they didn't want to push back too hard. I think when you have a game this big that they're trying to get a market this big or, or a wide array of people, they, I think they sometimes worry about alienating people too much with difficulty, yeah. which I can understand. Like, ideally, I wish there was maybe one more difficulty level or two more. Hopefully they yeah. add it or something. Mm. But I think they have to do kind of a broad stroke on that sense, Jones, to cover the majority of bases. Or just have, like, some ba- like have some clan or something that, like, just doesn't, just will 
you cannot stealth these people. Like it's virtually, it's like really, really, mm-hmm. really, really, sure. really hard. And so, and but like they're kind of optional. Like you don't necessarily you don't encounter them a lot in the story. So when you see these like red markers on the map, you're like, yeah, yeah I want to do it. I want to go back. You know, I like I, I I think that really works for stuff, even stuff like Pokemon, where it's like you don't have a lot of pushback going through mm-hmm. a campaign. Just dot little impossible things across the map, and then when I'm done, I can go back, or if I'm feeling up to the challenge or I'm playing at a difficulty that I'm comfortable with. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, let me try this like super difficult. I think the, yeah, the game tries to do that with duels more so than anything mm-hmm. else. Yeah. But I'm curious how those evolved. All the duels still, I did were just like, you're dead. You're dead. Yeah. yeah. They, it's they still, definitely like, get harder. Yeah. They cool, get harder cool. for sure. But like, yes, obviously I would, I like, cause of how we like to play games. Yes. We would like some more optional difficulty challenge like yeah. that. Right. Um, Brad, I, I super agree. And I think that's kind of where I'm at with it, where, I think I, I expected maybe a little bit more of a push mm-hmm, on hard, sure. and it, it's definitely like it's not nothing, right? It's it's there, but uh, yeah. I think I think I agree. I think a lot of these issues maybe would be solved with you know one or two more mm-hmm. uh, difficulties, yeah. and I'd, I'd be curious to see if something like that could be added. Yeah, I really hope they do that. I have sort of changed my my mind frame though when I'm playing the game, and that mm-hmm. has made it a lot more enjoyable. Where it's like, all right, I know what to do, and I know how to break this, so I'm just gonna. I'm just going to go into it. Like, I'm not going to lament the fact that that it's yeah. broken. I'm just going to kind of take f- pleasure in the fact that it is. And I think approaching it from that perspective is really yeah. fun. Like, that's my thing with the game is like, I don't think this game necessarily does anything groundbreaking in an open world game. Right. But what I think it does and how it presents it, I think it does it very well. Yeah. I, I think um, it's, it's hard because I, I guess I don't want to spoil it too much, but there's a mechanic that you get pretty deep into the game your, uh, that really emphasizes your your status minor, as a legend yeah. minor minor spoiler warning it's a double trigger pretty much yeah it's yes and you, you could activate it and just instantly kill a bunch of dudes yeah and one shot it kills guys one hit you get like three kills i think with it yeah i think it's three or it if it's there's not anybody around, it does go It'll away go pretty away. quickly. Yeah, it's up to three. And to to its credit, like you have to kill a number of guys in a row um, without getting hit. Without getting hit, which is kind of a cool mm-hmm. mechanic and, and adds some tension to the regular attacks. Um, and the way like your screen just entirely goes gray when you activate yeah. it, uh, Black and, and so and it's yeah. it's super fun. But I was also thinking to myself like. <laughs> I already felt so powerful without this. Yeah, you're, you become like a god in this <laughs> you game do. for sure. You do. Yeah. You definitely do. Um, but yeah, it's really taken me a while to warm up on the story as well. But I, I've finally gotten to a point, I think, where I'm appreciating it a little bit mm-hmm. more. I think once you, <clears throat> once some of the characters kind of get more into their own relationships and personal backstories, um, it gets a little bit more engaging. I think I'm, I'm most invested in like Yuna and her brother, Taka. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Smith, and once mm-hmm. you 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 spend a lot of time just like getting to them and like helping them, but then once you actually kind of get to know them, um, I'm yeah. definitely getting more attached. Yeah. Um, I don't know, and Brad, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I don't know how I feel about Jin. Uh, I I like his story and I like his setup with his uncle, mm-hmm. but sometimes the way that he I understand that he's supposed to be a very serious, very honorable person, mm-hmm. but sometimes scenes just fall a little flat for me. I don't know if that ever happened with you or if you were pretty invested. Um, so I'll just say by the end of the game, I'm 100% with him. Okay. I feel like he does have a growth arc where he, you know, he grows as a character and I was with him 
in the end. Cool. I was like, hell yeah. Okay. I like this character. So you eventually got there with him. Yeah. 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 Nice. Um, my favorite missions to do are the, uh, the legends. And I really like the way that they're framed. The mythic tales. The or whatever. mythic tales. Yeah. yeah. I believe that mm-hmm. is what they're called. And you'll go <clears throat> and there'll be a musician and you'll get a special, like, drawn out cutscene that's presented from any, different from anything else in the game mm-hmm. and uh or i think anything else in the game but it's it's kind of a special event it's, yeah it's like folklore almost those yes. things that they talk about like folklore on the island and like legends stuff like that yeah. yes exactly and i love the way that they're presented because they kind of give you this this mysterious figure and you go and you investigate them mm-hmm. uh and then eventually oftentimes it ends in a duel uh, yep. And it's just a very nice buildup and payoff. And you often tend to get really powerful techniques. You get good rewards for yeah. doing these, which I like. Yes. Yeah. That's one thing I like about this game. I didn't bring up the review. Just small thing is, you know what you're going to get from a reward. Or yeah, a quest you can usually. see it right you on the map. look over it and be like, yep. oh, I'm going to get this. So I'll yep. do this in this order. Cool. Nice. I think something that, that has kind of ground me down a little bit that I think the game does a little bit too much is... Like a lot of side quests kind of, I feel like follow a similar pattern where it's like, okay, I go and I talk to person, then I have to like slowly follow them as they're talking to me. And I feel like Red Dead Redemption 2 had that same problem. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, well then I have to go and like hit R2 on the tracks or whatever. And then it ends in a, you know, Mongol battle. Mm -hmm. And I I think, I think it just has, the, the structure is too similar for too many of the side quests. Sure, yeah. I feel like that's kind of an open world problem. I agree. Anything in design. Yeah, I agree. I feel like most open world games do like, even The Witcher, a lot of quests, yeah, which I think has true. fantastic quests, are like, track this sense, you know, you find a monster or someone, you, you make a decision, either a fight goes down or doesn't. Right. The thing I like about this game, though, is I like some of the premises it sets up. Like, yes, you may be doing, go over here, investigate this kind of thing, brawl at the end. But some of the stories I think they present are interesting enough. Like yeah. I wrote down a few when I was reviewing this, just because like I like them is one of them's like a, a haunted forest out yeah. here. This guy's talking about this haunted forest. There's spirits killing people in there. So you go through there, you're seeing all these bodies, like their heads decapitated. So right. it's setting up a, an interesting premise. Like, yeah, they often end in fights and something. But like, I think what they present usually enough, of course, there's some that are like not as interesting, but I feel like there's enough, even for, vi- these are very minor, minor quests, these quests, I feel like. Yeah. They're, they're one-offs, you know? But I feel like the premise was enough to like be like, okay, I kind of want to check this out. I want to see how this is going to end. Oh, yeah, that's happened to me a number of times where um, the the sort of the beginning and the end are really, really good. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's and you're right, they seem kind of on the outset, the way the map presents them, it's like, oh, this isn't that big of a deal of a quest. Like you don't get that much experience. You don't get a huge reward. But it's like, oh, this person is deceiving me. Like they're having me do their dirty work for them. Yeah. Or like, oh, why are all these foxes that I have to investigate that? And so mm-hmm. I do think there are a lot of interesting premises. I just think the actual like middle for sure. uh, can be the, a little bit What formulaic. you're doing during it. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally understand that. Um, uh, can I bring up one quest I really loved in this game? Yeah, absolutely. Go for just it. Just like if you're really sensitive about spoilers, I'm just going to tell you about this is a minor quest too, is I found this village with this like samurai and it turns out the samurai... It was yes. a fake samurai. Yes, yes, yes. He yes. wasn't a real samurai. Mm-hmm. So you're following him around. Then he eventually finds out you're onto him and he runs away. And you, he challenges you to duel. You have a duel. And right before you get about to strike, he pleads for his life and gives up on, on yes. it. And you tell him to pretty much get the hell out and never show your face around. You go back to the town. You tell the people that he was a fake samurai. 
all the people in the town already knew he was fake, but they just like to have him around. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, Brad, I, I love that quest um, because it really played with my expectations because I don't think at that point I had done a duel and I was like, oh my yeah. God, my first duel. I was so excited. And then it's kind of a fake out and he, yeah. and he chickens out. And then yeah. there's another layer on top of that, as you said, uh, when you go to the talk to the people. And I think I... I think the the setups um, and some of the resolutions are very very good. I think there, mm-hmm. I wish there was a little bit more of that where it played with my expectations, or it's For like, sure. oh, yeah. I don't think this is going to go the way that I expect it to. Um, and I think again, that kind of plays into everything else that we were talking about before, where it was mm-hmm. like, well, you know, I, I feel so powerful. Um, there was there's there's been a couple of times where I feel like. The game is just a little bit too rigid to its own, for its own good, where it's like, you have to follow this person, and if you get a little bit away from them, they're like, no, no, come back over here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Definitely. worst it was for me is you had to, there were these four guys following this woman, and it was like... Oh, assa- in the field, Yeah, right? in the field. And it was mm-hmm. like, assassinate them without being seen. And it was like, great, I have, I have a chain assassination, and I waited for one of the guys to separate, and then I tried to chain assassinate the other three, but it still failed the mission, even though they were all dead, because mm-hmm. you have to wait for it to do this scripted thing yep. where they specifically split off. Yep. And it's like, ah, oh, man, that, that's that the kinda, problem yeah. with open world games and stuff like that can happen. Right. Exactly. You it's, give up like tight scenarios often for scope. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is definitely an understandable um, mm-hmm. compromise that it has to make. Right. There are probably going to be a bunch of people that do the quest that don't have that assassination right. or maybe an effective way to do that. But at the same time, there's part of you that wishes, oh, uh, I wish I was, I, 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 I could recognize I, what I'm doing. Yeah. I think there's a, a good, it's a good idea to like have an understanding of where it's coming from and why it is this way. But I think it's totally fine to want to want more and for it to be better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like, yeah, that's something I feel like open world games will get better at as we go on. Right. Because, I mean, open world games, to me, have progressed quite a bit from what they used to be. Right. Um, Brandon, as, as somebody who has cleared a lot of maps, mm, <laughs> what what is good motivation for clearing a map? And what is what is bad motivation where you're, where you're doing it just to do it? Like, what, what gets you really psyched? Um, I mean, specifically, when you're talking about clearing maps, like how that looks, you know, like I'm a, I'm a big fan of like how... Uh, or I, I really pay close attention and can be possibly dissuaded from doing that if a game, if it's very unclear about like how I discover areas, you know, if there's kind of like like a fog of war and then I get into there and it's like, oh, you've, you've, you've now been here. Like something like Ghost Recon Wildlands literally had like blocks, like squares that would just click, 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 slowly be revealed and like mm-hmm. ungrade like once you got into areas. And I was like, well, I'm going to drive over and circle this boat around that island. I've already been there, but like, you know, like I just didn't get that last little corner and I just want my map to look nice and clean. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just visually, and that was actually something that uh, surprised me about this game is that a lot of times in open world games, at least that first or second story mission is like pretty close or there's like a, a straight line between you and there and maybe one or two side quests where like I felt I really had to go off the beaten path to do like the next story thing after like, mm-hmm. the first couple ones. Like I found myself doing a lot of random stuff just because it was just kind of scattered around in front of me on the way over. Um, and so uh, it just depends. Yeah. On how they, they sprinkle stuff across the map, how early you can tell how important one thing is versus another thing. I think a lot of people that 
get discouraged by just icon, you know, that Ubisoft like, ah, there's just too many icons. It's not just, a, not only a sense of there's too much to do and I don't care about these things, but you don't really understand what, like you were saying, Brad, like what I get from this stuff, mm -hmm. like what's, yeah. And, and even if I know I get that kind of currency from doing that quest, is that, do I want that? Like, how do mm -hmm. I spend that or what, you know? So it can be tricky in a campaign, an open world game, giving people freedom, but at the same time, directing them towards the, the, the easy fundamental stuff that they, they, they need to understand. And so I felt a tremendous amount of freedom playing Tsushima. And so when, you know, I, I got your review, Brad, and you were like, yeah, the, the combat's great, but the stealth isn't really, you know, that hard. And, um, uh, it, it did kind of fall in line with just this open, like, go out and have fun. Like, we yeah. don't want to restrict you. We don't want you to get to a spot that you're not ready for. But then the downside to that is you're not really going to challenge yourself. I remember, like, World of Warcraft, first time I, like, wandered into a level 60 area as a level 20. I was like, ah, you know, like, mm -hmm. there's something kind of fun about that, you know, scary. And you mark that on your map. Okay, I'll be back there. Um, but it, it, it was interesting talking, you guys talking about pace and story missions and walking with characters and stuff. I think that's something that's just been so drilled into my head that like I tend sure, to just yeah. kind of naturally follow along with like open world writing. It's like, mm -hmm. I see what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Not that it's the best way to tell a certain story yeah. or a quest yeah. or anything, but uh, I tend to sniff that stuff out. Uh it's it's I sympathize so much. And in and, and in a way, like you, I see things in the game where it's like they're clearly aware of some of these criticisms mm -hmm. and they're trying to address them in mm -hmm. their own ways. And I'm sure it's like a monumental task, you know, to make flawless AI or believable AI, at least immersive right. AI in a game as as massive uh, and open yeah. as this was as many activities. And there are I mean, it's it's still a valid criticism, I think, when you're like, OK, I feel like. My interest well, or immersion is, is being I ruined. brought it up in my review because it's such a large part of the game. It is, yeah. It's like a, a huge part of the game is like sneaking around if you want. Right. And I think I think the death, the, the not the death, the stealth could definitely be better tuned. But there are little things that I notice where I'm like, oh, that's that's a nice small touch um, mm -hmm. that goes a long way in, in making these characters feel believable. Like the enemies... If they're behind an archer, they'll duck down so the archer mm -hmm. can shoot. And it's like, oh, cool. That's smart. I don't. Mm -hmm. I can't think of another game that does that. Or when you get close to an archer, they won't just fire at the same interval. They'll speed up, and they're mm -hmm. like, "Oh God, you're getting closer." And I, I love that sensation of I, I. I get their panic through how fast they're firing as they approach. Or uh, when you walk through the pampas grass and your hand kind of just yeah, he grazes, he grazes it, yeah. it, and it's like, ah, oh, those are yeah. nice little things. And so. Um, yeah, there's definitely the, some effort. I think the dog or the game does an excellent job of presenting like very video game element things, but tying it into the world and trying to make sense of it. Yeah, like it's like your health thing going to a hot spring and sitting in the hot spring, having Jin contemplate something about right. his life or something like that, or Jin sitting down and composing a haiku, which is yeah. definitely something yeah. samurai and stuff did in the in like back in the day so it's something it's really cool they tied stuff like that into the game where you get your video game rewards like a cosmetic or something but they tied into the lore scenario of the game yeah the hot spring reflection is is interesting um and i, I think they handled it in a pretty good way where um not only is, is the motivation for you to go and get some maximum health increase, but Jin reflects, as you said, but it's not always like super serious stuff. No. Like it's not always like, oh, the, my, my, my dead family or something yeah. horrible. Sometimes it's just like, man, I 
haven't had a lover in a while and that would be yeah. really nice. And yeah. I, I think that I like that a lot. And I actually wish there were kind of some more humanizing smaller moments with Jin. Um, sure. They definitely happen. I, They're not dude, non-existent. I, but there's going to be some later on for you okay. that I like really loved. Okay. Cool. Like about Jin and his life. So I think like very early on in the game, there's flashback of Jin with yeah. his uncle and stuff yep, like that. Yep, yep. Like there's moments like that throughout the game that help explore Jin as character and the way he is. Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, uh, shout out to the bamboo cutting. That's like my favorite thing to do in the game. Yes. Yes. So if you don't know, there's little bamboo um, things you can go out in the world. They give you more resolve when you complete them, but it's usually three bamboo at the start with a series of button presses you push. So you push like L1 X square, then it does like four or five or something like that. And you have to do, and it adds more buttons throughout you go on. Some of them get kind of complicated, but when you eventually nail it, it feels real good. It feels like you're like executing almost some sick fighting game combo. Brad, I, I feel like all my time either playing rhythm games or playing fighting games has really paid off. I Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think I've only messed up like one input. Yeah. You, you just feel like, like a God. Just, yeah, you're like, just like, whoo. L1, yeah. L1, L1, X, X, L1 good. squared triangle. Yeah. It yeah, feels, it feels awesome. good, man. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's a smart way of doing that. Right. Where it's kind of a fun activity that only takes a few seconds. Yes. Right. It's just an, it's just a neat little thing. Yeah. Whereas like, I love the foxes, right? Because they're adorable and I appreciate that mm-hmm. you can, can pet them. But it's something where after you've done a couple of them, you're kind of just like, yeah. Yeah. I think this isn't a good thing about the game is a lot of that stuff doesn't drag on too That's long. True. It's pretty fast, a yeah. lot of it. Yeah. So That's you're never true. like, oh man, I've been doing this for five minutes for the right. hundredth time. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm really curious where I end up because I, th- I think at the, at the beginning, within the first 10 hours of play, um, I was definitely sure. like, I'm getting... I don't think there's enough here for me to really dig into, but now over time, even more time has passed. It, yeah. It's frustrating that it doesn't tell you how long you've been playing that I've been able to see. It is very, fr- I was like, man, why can't you just tell me, dude? <laughs> yeah. This game's big. Yeah. Just is, tell me. It's very frustrating. Yeah. But now you're worried about people being this game too fast. I am definitely warming up to it. And I'm curious to see yeah. where it'll be. Um, I think the, like the side and, character missions you can do really help out that. Oh, like, that was actually something I wanted these- to bring up exploring these characters, finding out their motivations, Jin, like reflecting on it and like doing it with them. I think some of the yeah. stories are pretty, pretty rad actually. Like Masako is one of my favorite characters in the game. Yes. Yeah, so that's actually something I want to talk about. I do think some of the stories are pretty interesting. I think it is the way in which they are broken up. That can be a little frustrating. So you'll meet these characters, right? And Masako is, is to, to boil it down. Masako is seeking revenge for her clan and her family. Um, Mm -hmm. and she was betrayed. And so you're like, okay, well, let's go and let's, you know, get your revenge. Um, it's more nuanced than that, but that's, that's a summary of it. Yeah. And it is really interesting, but I, I've, I feel like I've done so many quests for her and it always breaks in an awkward time. And this Mm -hmm. happens in the main story as well, where you're like, okay, we're going to do this thing. And you get like halfway there and they're like, okay, come meet me over mm-hmm. at this thing and it's like well i kind of wish this just kept going like it yeah they, they can be a little of, start and stoppy i, I think. think it's a, a something they're afraid of going on for too long mm. about players maybe feel like they're locked into a quest line yeah when a lot of the game is about just kind of going out and doing whatever you want yeah but and i get that like, it would definitely help like for sure like a pacing if you did like a 40 minute quest or something like that it helps sucking you in 
there's a few occasions where the game's like, hey, this is going to be long. Do right. you want to do this right now? But yes, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, and I, I, I sympathize with that, um, not wanting to drag things out for too long. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think if you are going to make it a quest, that quest should have, like, you shouldn't feel at the end of the quest, like, oh, wait, we're done now? Like, it should have, like, a, a stronger um, end. Yeah, it just it. depends on, like, the step of the quest, I guess, yeah. that you're doing. Because some, some quests have, better have, ama- yeah, some quests have amazing resolutions. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, interesting, interesting, interesting. Did Huber finish? No. Okay. I have been, he hasn't had a lot of time to play, but he is enjoying it. Okay. Yeah, I. this is a spoiler mode where I'm like, I, I bet there's a good chance I could feel very differently just because my feelings have evolved so much. Sure, yeah. Over time or something. Yeah, I'm very curious very to see different. how you guys feel when it's over. Yeah, I really want to be on that spoiler mode, for sure, for sure. You will be. <laughs> uh, Brandon, it sounds like you haven't had a lot of cha- a lot of time to play this game, and Blood said it best, um, where it's like, it's crazy that we're mid-pandemic in July and it feels like right. there's a ton of stuff happening. I know. <laughs> uh, but I guess... In comparison to other things that you have to play, which we will talk about, yeah. what, what is like your hunger at for Ghost? Oh, it's super hungry. Well, it's it not, hmm, not hungry enough to like push everything you know, aside, like cancel plans with friends. You know, like <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, this is not like an emergency, but like I'm very much looking forward to uh, cozy time with this game. Like, yeah. like almost all of my gaming time lately has been 100% work, and so this will be. I mean, obviously, I'll be preparing for spoiler mode, but. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, it'll be nice when I can kind of clear my schedule. Dude. I think the next thing after what I'm focusing on right now is not till the end of July. So hopefully I'll have a Jones cut and loose in an open world game, baby. Whew. Yeah. It's going to have a good time. And Cozy I don't know, it's, it's funny. I think my expectations, like I might be a good person to review open world games, but also not because like my expectations uh, don't get that intense when things are repetitive in open world games. Like I don't, I, I can recognize them and address mm-hmm. them and discuss them, but they don't like really get to me. Yeah. Uh, as much as other things. And like, I, for me, it's all about immersion and it's all about, you know, character involvement. And like, when I can actively control everything this character is doing, when a character is in a location because I put them there, you know, then that, that goes a long way for me. You yeah. Know, whereas something that like I'm coming right off, you know, Last of Us Part Two and, you know, there were, you know, moments emotionally, I think that that game took me to that this game probably will not. But at the same time, there were missions where it's like, OK, this character is going to do this now. And I'm like, I, this is so stupid. <laughs> like, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't even prioritize this right now. Or, you know, um, so it was, it, sometimes when games are linear for the sake of telling a more direct story uh, and the bonus you get is everything just kind of fits more into what the developer had intended. And right. You can understand that easier. Mm-hmm. I tend to kind of. Uh, get more of a, a reward just uh, selfishly out of, l- like you were saying, just walking through a field and you know sticking yeah. my hand out on the grass. Like that stuff goes goes a long, long way. I think that I think those Jones are like Bay. strong aspects to talk about, though, Jones. When you're talking about open world game, yeah, because yeah. they're not the same type of game. They're not structured the same. They're different. And I think they both have their positive and negatives. Yeah, that's what I think. You are fine like talking about open world games, oh, sure. Jones, because you <laughs> you've played so many. You understand these things. It's just a different, yeah. It's just a different perspective and a yeah. different. Uh, um, thing to look for you know from a story and i think it's just inherently when you're making an open world game you you know right out of the gate like we have to sacrifice a level of yeah. of narrative control that we're just not going to have it's just not going to impact people the same way i think the only thing that's frustrating though is i think sometimes people try to assign genres or or boxes to to 
people a little bit too much where, sure. you know, I, I had some criticisms for Ghost, which I think is totally fair. And people are like, oh, well, you must just be burnt out in open world games. It's like, <laughs> no, I, I just think this could be better. I think that sure, you know, yeah. there are some there are some valid criticisms here. There are things that yeah. that could be done a yeah, little bit better. nothing wrong with wanting something to be better. Yeah, absolutely. But as long as you have an understanding, I think, of what the game is. That makes your points even more valid. Yeah, and, and that's, stronger. That's why I love putting that stuff out there and talking to you guys because it's like, well, I think it's very easy to get hung up on something, right? And it's mm-hmm. good to challenge your own feelings. And like you said, Brad, uh, and uh, something that I really loved and I totally agree with is it's like, okay, well, this isn't great, but why did it have to be this way? Why did they make this decision? And I think mm-hmm. when you start to think through it like that, um, yeah, it's it's easier to understand some things uh, for sure. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm curious where where I'll feel. I also think <laughs> it's interesting playing games that are completely different back to back because mm-hmm. it kind of informs you know what you appreciate about storytelling in one thing versus another. Whereas like Last of Us, very rigid, very like pushing you through to the end versus Ghost of Tsushima, and sometimes. I just want a better marriage of those two different styles. Yeah, I um, yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, I think open world games are getting they're getting there. Yes. they're getting better about it. Right. But yeah, exactly. Definitely there's still things that can be done, and uh, that is what is so exciting about the next generation is thinking about how far certain styles of games have gotten from the 360 generation to the, to the, the mm-hmm. Xbox one PS4 generation. And then like, what is going to be possible next gen and how yeah. far people have gone. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, man. I'm really interested in seeing what Spider-Man two brings, given that they're kind of stuck with this map. <laughs> like oh, how, sure. they, how they maybe reinvent locations we've been to or introduce new ones or maybe take us um, off the island. And, maybe like you know. just everything is more detailed, like the buildings you go inside more of instead sure, yeah, of just like I a just construction site. A, yeah. a lot more interiors, even just, yeah. you know, miles this, uh, this, uh, this fall or this winter. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see. Oh yeah. Yeah. What again, learned. like, like you were talking about Brad with the, the, the premises of some of the side quests and how they kind of tell interesting stories in ways that you wouldn't expect. That's what I wanted of Spider-Man. I think like my biggest complaint about Spider-Man is there were definitely some things where it's like, I'm just doing this to, you know, clear a percentage off of, you know, yeah, my objectives. Right. Definitely. And that's fine. There, there is some innate satisfaction to that, but you know, there's also a part of you I that wants like a little bit more. What's good though, Ben, and about the future of that is I think the biggest hurdle the first Spider-Man had to overcome is making Spider-Man awesome to play. Yeah. And exactly. swing around the city and they like killed it. They killed it. And I think they can nail down some other aspects that are weaker. Yeah. Because when I think about side quests and Spider-Man, I, I mean, it's been a long time. I don't really remember any of them. I remember. Right. I don't remember any of them. I remember like stopping some crimes with the same like animation ending where you like stopping the car. Yes. And I did. Like, I, I, I immediately, times. when I think of like things I didn't love about Spider-Man, I immediately think of stopping yeah. the cars. But yeah. it's like, they've nailed yeah. so much of like the fundamentals, which they needed, but right. now they can improve upon the, the weaker aspects. And they told a great Spider-Man story. Yes. I mean, removed yeah. from, from they all did the great. stuff. Yeah. 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 Good times ahead. Y'all. Uh, Brandon. Hmm. Speaking of stuff that you've been playing from work, tell me about orcs must die three. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. I played Orcs. the first one. I love the first one. Yes, I, I played the first one. The second one was uh, exclusive to PC. And so I was wondering if it was maybe going to come to console later. And then we got Orcs Must Die Unchained, which mm. was like a version of that. It was like another 
like two and unchained were, were, were separate things, but I checked that out. And <laughs> Orcs Must Die is just, it's kind of empty calories, but I love it so much. Like it's wrong just, it, it's so straightforward. And like this type of game, the way I play Orcs Must Die 3, just to kind of set the stage for you. So I jump in, you meet these two new characters. There actually is kind of a lore continuation. They're like, oh, this, this, night that trained us before is gone and i was like who oh right <laughs> it's been a while since i played orcs must day okay I, I remember this world and it's very uh very world of warcraft you know e uh even just way goofier than that it's very comical all the orcs are you know very you know silly and um uh the the dialogue's very funny like when they're actually like going through the level you know it's it's tower defense and so you're setting up traps and trying to block them and um there's a lot of fun physicality with them getting knocked around extremely bloody with just like limbs and stuff lying around but I started out, I played the first level and then they're like, okay, cool. And then they open up the second level and I'm like, nope, and like go play the first level again. And then I can like level up my traps a little bit more, play the first level again, level up my traps a little bit more. And then it's like, I wonder if I can do this level with just wall traps. Let me try that. You know? And like, I couldn't, I needed to push back a little bit, but like, I, that's what I love about, it's kind of the same way I played pixel junk. What was the, where you have to be like, like, yeah, where you like bang the drums yeah. on the little like tower. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. I would do the same thing where like once I had stuff leveled up, I'm like, let me go back to like that first level and see if I can literally just use one type of tower. And I was I was able to pull it off in some levels. And so I love just kind of stretching difficulty like yeah. in ways that make me curious in games like this because it's just extremely straightforward. There's not a lot of uh, like in Fortnite, you really like build in the, the save the world in the defense stuff in there. Like you, you build the structures. So like you have kind of an open field and it's up to you to really kind of direct them the way that you want to. Where in this, like the hallways and the staircases and the corridors are, are very reminds me of uh, Dungeon Defender, uh, which has a one oh, and two. Yeah, I remember Dungeon that. Defender Two is kind of like a, a free to play ish, very microtransaction heavy um, kind of version of this game. Um, uh, much more focused uh, towards a younger crowd, I think, than Orcs, which is like a lot more violent, a lot more blood. Um, but it is just very straightforward in how you understand like where enemies are going to come from. There's not a lot of surprise there. It's not a question of like, um, uh, like, Oh no, that door opened and I didn't know that was going to happen. And now all these guys are coming in from this direction. So I got to start this level over. It's just like, you know what? I got two stars on that. I bet I can get three. Like I bet I can do that a little bit better mm -hmm. because now I know I, I could see them going. What, one example of something that they did was, I had this corridor that had two hallways and then there were little separations in between and the orcs would just decide they were going to go on one side versus the other. And you have uh, barriers that you can set up that will kind of steer them in, in certain directions if hallways are, are bigger than just one block. And I realized that if I blocked off one area and then just kind of walled off that other hallway... Some are some tower defense stuff. They'll detect that right away. Like even before they enter the hallway, they'll know this right hallway is a dead end. I'm not even going to go there. And so they'll just automatically get blocked off. But these are dumb orcs. And so they would just like walk down towards a dead end. And I could just see them on the mini map. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. That actually frees up some time. And so you can kind of like steer them in the wrong direction just to kind of thin the herd a little bit. So you mm -hmm. can focus, you know, single target on stuff. But um, there's just a, a big marker that pops up when you headshot them. Like you just, you know, there's, I, I'm a big fan of the arrow stuff. And so it's just fun, like seeing them just get absolutely pulverized. There's little kobolds that run real fast. So if you have like the, the spike traps on the ground, they'll, the spikes will just barely hit them. Like they'll just, they'll manage to run across them before they do damage. So you'll have to set up these other things. And it's, it's neat seeing them skip right past one trap and then another trap just like swipes them right off the map. Constant dopamine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's, having played Orcs Must Die before, it's been a long time. Just 
hearing everything that you're describing with my memories of Orcs Must Die, this just sounds like Orcs Must Die again. Like not necessarily like a huge I'm, upgrade. Yeah. There's 16 missions. I'm on mission eight. I couldn't tell you what what what, what is different. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's two, and maybe that there's, doesn't matter if there's two main case? protagonists. Like there are little bits to the story. The the one part where I was like, okay, I don't know if this was in Orcs Must Die Two. I heard some people that were kind of frustrated with a lot of new mechanics that they added. So I don't know if this is a refinement, something mm. that they added with two. But there's weapons you can get for like I can't remember what they're called. It's like war themed levels. So they're just kind of like bigger, you know, bigger maps. Um, uh, you know, bigger sized armies in there. The ones that I played were flashbacks, you know, kind of filling in some of the lore of some of the characters that they talk about. And so you're going back in time and, and playing as these two different characters. And so the, you know, where I can set up archers, which of course, like I love to death. So I'm just constantly buying archers and protecting them. And so they can just like mow people down with their fire arrows. Whereas in this, when I have archers, it's more kind of like, Helm's Deep, where like they shoot up in the air, and mm -hmm. then like the, I'm like we're targeting things that are way across the map, and so you kind of have to juggle like, am I am I exclusively going to use these big, super expensive war weapons, or do I kind of want to mix it up and use the barricades to kind of steer them into a spot, but then use these big things, uh, and so that felt a little different, you know, not only just in in tower defense to just have these you know huge uh, differences in scale from one level to another, but it felt a little different for for orcs must die. Um, but again, for, for me, I, I push myself to get perfect scores. I push myself to try to max level the items that I like, where I don't think there was a level that I straight up failed, you mm. know, as opposed to just like, or, uh, unless it was something where I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I, I didn't know you're going to drop that really quick enemy type on me, and I had not built the, the yeah. level to stop them, and they just all ran right past me, and like, okay, okay. A lot of times I'll just quit, you know, it, like you have 20 points of health on your, the, 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 the teleporter thing they're trying to jump into and if i get to nine i'm like i'm gonna start now get it <laughs> you you haven't mentioned it so i guess it probably wasn't a big deal at all but orcs must die three stadia exclusive for the time being, stadia, yeah for the time yeah. for the time being so you must not have had any problems whatsoever well it's such a uh i mean it didn't look fantastic like it mm. definitely there's a little bit of a, a fuzz to it but you know this is works must die i'm not like <laughs> sure know, it, it it was not it was not a question of like something yeah. it stuttered and then something ran past me or if i'm like zooming in to fire on a target it's like i can't even tell what i'm looking at it just you know uh every now and then i'm like oh yeah okay that's 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 stadia but at the same time it's nice to just have it in a browser and just boot it up it's yeah. it's confusing because when it took me a little bit because i don't play a lot on stadia and when i'm like going to quit it i like mouse over the steam icon like wait no and then like i mouse over the epics games icon like wait no and then i'm like oh it's chrome <laughs> you, know, like, <laughs> you have to remember I need to yeah. close my internet browser that's <laughs> that's the only thing that's open on my computer right now like, oh right i'm just playing this thing in a browser but I, i'm not you know it's just the type of game where i'm not like upset like i'll i'll hold off until it's on ps4 it's like it's 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 fun and it's mm -hmm. something uh, i could definitely see myself it, it's tough because I'm reviewing one thing right now and I want to play lots of Tsushima. And so I think I've played enough to talk about it here on Frame Trap. And so it's, I shouldn't go back and play it, but it, it is kind of tempting because it is just such, such an easy game to absorb, such an easy thing to just lose hours in because um, I have such a passion for this genre that it's just really fun to, to, to replay. Just, oh, let me try that one more time. I think I can, you know, yeah, I got four stars, but I, I think I can get that fifth star. I just got one guy in. Like, I think I can really, I think I can really stop it. And it's, I like it because it's 
kind of similar to how if you were to have like stealth in a game or uh, like a like uh, RPGs where you can like negotiate with with uh, like in Persona where you can like talk to demons, you know, and like mm-hmm. I didn't even have to fight that guy. Uh, Map wise, there's some fun stuff where. I'll, I'll do a level and it's it's they're like these things are split in two different directions and I'm like oh no okay well I'll put all my defenses right at the end which is always a terrible idea and I'll just try to defend from either direction and I tried this like two or three times and I realized wait a minute I could just block off one whole side of this thing you know and then like now I can f- oh, okay and so it's it's you know can sometimes be a little frustrating when you haven't figured that that meta out but at the same time it's it's fun to go back and play a level you've already beat and then realize like oh I can just dominate this level i didn't notice you know that i can just it's just this i gotta put this block in this one spot and then oh now you gotta go that way and then you run the gauntlet one more time fun yeah i do think there there is a lot of like even playing pixels and monsters 2 that was probably the last tower defense game i put any time into there is certainly some strategic satisfaction as you're describing but i also think in a way like tower defense to you is kind of what like earth defense force or Muso yeah. games are to me, yeah, where sure. where it's a hard thing to kind of like, you, you need to sort of check yourself as a critic where you're like, well, <laughs> I like this genre or this type of game and it needs to have a very specific feeling to it. Like it's so essential to its DNA that if it doesn't feel this way, if it doesn't have this like specific simplicity, it won't be right. But also how does how do you evolve that and make it more interesting over time yeah. and over you know console generations and it and it's tricky because i think like part of the charm of earth defense force is that it is rough as hell <laughs> and yeah. so you know it, it, i don't know i don't know how you necessarily solve that problem there were two tutorials when I started Orcs Must Die 3. And they're like, Dude, would you like to take a moment for us to teach you? I'm like, nope. nope. And like, they brought in characters. And I like, got it. He's a new character. Do you want him? like, nope. Yeah. And it's kind of the thing with EDF. Like if EDF had some crazy new mechanic, you're like, wait a minute. Whoa, how does this work? Like, would that make it better? Or is it? Well, they, they've I was, tried I to I do that multiple it. times. Yeah and, yeah. and it hasn't worked. Uh, I, I started to, you know, my, I, I spent like a long evening with Orcs Must Die 3 and I, I started that evening and I just, I sprinted into this game. I literally did, I booted it up and started the main thing and like just barely made it through the opening credit, the opening, you know, lore. And then was just like off to the races. So I'm like, yep, this is exactly, this is what I expected this game to be. This is what I wanted this game to be. Yep. This is, I am enjoying it. Um, uh, also, there are uh, these two characters. There's these two students and I played um, the uh, surprise, surprise, the more bow and arrow focused one. And then there's another one that's more like trap focused, I think. I think she like focuses more on guns and stuff. And so they have a fun rapport because they are kind of being asked as students to, uh, you know, solve this mystery that's this, you know, but been around for ages, kind of connect with stories. This is classic Harry Potter. Like you're too young to know the true story. And so there's just a lot of great banter between the two of them in stages. And, um, and they have, I don't know if these were in Orcs Must Die 2. I don't think they were in one, but they have like like talismans, like little special items that you can equip. So it, before you start each mission, you can set up your loadout at the bottom uh, and then you just press the shoulder buttons to go back and forth between items. And each of these things, while you're physically holding it, will make something happen. So like there's one like gear trinket that will uh, make traps just uh, respond faster so the spikes will like retract faster and mm-hmm. pop up again faster and then when you hit it and there's a really long cooldown for when it comes back but when you hit it it just resets everything on the whole level and then there's one that will like heal you you know and then if you are holding it it'll make your health regenerate a little bit faster so it's kind of fun to just have a couple of these things and i wonder if like when you get to the end of the game you unlock some really powerful ones 
So then you're tempted, like, oh man, I'm gonna go back <laughs> like yeah. to the earlier levels and just kick back, you know, with the soda and just watch these orcs like barely make it halfway through. You mentioned uh, the rating system that you get, where it's like, oh, I, I could do better. I could get like what three stars? There is the is the max. I think five is the max. Five. Yeah. Okay. Is is there a gameplay incentive for doing that, where it's like the more stars you get, the more things you unlock? It's yeah, they're they're skulls actually, and they get then that contributes the skulls are your leveling up system, and you gotcha. get like I think for one round like thirteen was the max I got. Usually it's around five or six, and then of course diminishing returns if you just like like me just keep like playing you know beating a dead horse and playing like level one over and over and over again, uh, and then you use. How that many times to, have you played level one? Uh, twenty, I think. Probably. Oh shit! <laughs> I thought you were gonna say like five. No nah, man, it's fun. <laughs> It's fun. It's fun to just it's, orcs must die, baby. It's Brandon wants them die. It's fun to because it's so simple. It's just literally a hallway. It's a hallway that does a turn and then a turn. And so you can just once I get a new trap or something, it's like I'm gonna go back to that first level and just use that trap and see how powerful it is really and what how what enemies can get past it and what you know like what's it what it's strong against or not. Um, but yeah, I'm just a sucker for. This is what I. I mean, it's. I mean, for, the Fortnite Save the World is insanely repetitive. I mean, yeah. it's just the same thing. Like, even when you get to, like a new biome, it's just like no. This is what I want you to do, day. Brandon. When we uh, get to Game of the Year 2020, as a joke, I <laughs> want you to go. You know, I can't talk about that, but I can tell you about the first level of Orcs Must Die Three <laughs> in great detail. I never did finish Tsushima, <laughs> yeah, but, but I just want to talk about that tar trap. Once you unlock the fire. It really does. And when you unlock things, there is, uh, there's like th three different categories of unlocking stuff. There's just the base, like stronger, stronger, stronger. I think there's like four or five tiers of that. And then each, uh, trap or weapon has, uh, two different, um, possible like skill tree, not branches. They're literally just two options. And one is like, you know, adds fire damage or one's like, you know, gives you more ammo or makes it fire faster. Uh, and then the more you use a thing, then there's like one additional super ability that like, if it's like kill a hundred, you know, orcs with this thing, and then you unlock the ability to purchase this extra thing. Mm. Um, so there's different, you can't just like right away level up something really fast. There's like different yeah. ways to, to level them. Uh, but so yeah, I, I like that. Uh, and, and just shout out to anyone in the community. If you know any good tower defense games, just send them my mobile Brandon, yeah. PC, up, PS4, baby. Xbox One, Switch. Let me know because Stadia. I love that Stadia. I love that stuff. Uh, I love the hands-on stuff too. I love being in the in the world, um, and that's why the, the pixel jump was so much fun because you could uh, do both. You know, you could like zoom out and see the the map from top down, which you can only really do in Orcs Must Die Three via the mini map. You can see little dots and where they are. Um, but uh, I just like um, I like I like when that that one orc like makes oh I finally made it through that trap and then there I am just headshot like, yeah. I, uh, I've got a game that I'm I'm pretty stoked to talk about uh, just because I think ever since I did the playthrough of Thousand Year Door, um, I just absolutely loved that game. Loved it so much, brought it to Hall of Greats. Got it into Hall of Greats, baby. Yeah, baby. <laughs> uh, and that is <laughs> the game that I'm talking about today is, is another game in that series. It is Paper Mario, Paper Mario the Origami King. And uh, the good news is that... We didn't get access to this game, and so I was watching other people's previews, and it was something where the more I saw of it, the less excited that I got, and I was like, oh, I don't know about mm. that, I don't know about that. A lot of those things have been kind of resolved, and so I was worried, the, the whole point of this battle system is that it's kind of like a puzzle every time that you get into a fight. 
and you're on this wheel and enemies will kind of get scattered around and you have to use the wheel to slide and rotate them into a certain position. And I was like, I bet that's going to be cool for <laughs> like an hour. Sure, yeah. And then I'm just going to get really sick of doing the same things over and over and over again. And it's, I, I'm a, probably about five hours in uh, somewhere around that mark. I'm not sure in the exact time, but if I had to guess, I'm probably somewhere about five hours in and I, you know, I've, I've gone through, I've beat the first boss and it is interesting enough and fast enough that it works. And I think a big reason why it works is that you have a time limit. And so I think it would get really tedious if you could just kind of sit there and be like, okay, well, what's the solution and try a bunch of things, but you do have something to pressure you into getting mm -hmm. it done. And you feel that panic as the clock ticks down. Um, I think the thing that I don't like is it does, the game has no experience points at all. And that's been, uh, of course, a, a controversial decision. They do try to rectify that. So when you fight and when you explore and when you kill things, like everything just gives you coins and you can use those coins for so many things. So of course you can like buy items and accessories to make your character stronger, um, and weapons and things like that. But in battle, um, you can spend coins to bring toads in to help you out to and to heal you and you can the more you spend the bigger the benefits you can also spend coins to get more time and so if you're like wait i think i've almost got this uh let's add another 30 seconds on the clock you can do that and that can be pretty expensive and so there is a way to try to have a currency uh work but i think what the more practice that you get you just get so flooded with coins that you don't really feel it enough and i wish I just wish the system was a little bit better where it's like, oh no, you know, I, I did all the action events perfectly. I did the puzzle perfectly. I wish there was like some experience or some way I could build my character mm -hmm. um, that made it matter a little bit more because I think, you know, <laughs> the game is easy enough that if you actually do spend the time to learn it, you'll just be swimming in coins and not thinking about it or making a trade-off quite as much as you would want to. Um, but the actual act of going through and solving these puzzles is pretty satisfying and hasn't been too repetitive so far. And I love the way, at least in the first boss battle, they're like, we're not just going to make this like a tougher regular enemy. The entire dynamic is going to change where you're not sliding around enemies. The boss is in the center of the wheel and you have to try to create a path for you to get to their weak point. And like, there are different ways where you can set up a basic path and it's like, yeah, you're going to be able to do damage to the boss, but if you want to spend a little bit more time, you can set up a path where you get some healing or maybe you get a hint on how to do more damage to the boss. And all of that stuff is very creative and I think speaks to, you know, Paper Mario and, you know, Mario and Luigi and Mario RPG, that desire to take JRPG systems and add a new twist on them. And this seems like a worthwhile twist uh, for sure. And so I'm, I'm liking the battle system more than I thought. I just wish the progression was a little bit different. Sure, yeah. Um, I think my biggest disappointment with the game is so it's, a, it's an incredibly charming game and it's very, very, very funny, uh, which is kind of a hallmark of Mario RPGs. But a lot of times it never really goes beyond, oh, that's cute. And I think going, oh, that's cute is valuable, but I'm not like the the premise is is as basic as you would expect, where it's like, this evil figure comes in, he takes over the castle, 
oh no, we got to go stop him. That's fine. And, you know, like Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door ultimately had that same premise, but immediately each area you go to has its own story and you get really invested in the characters Mm. and the characters have a lot more depth than just, oh, that's cute. Like they have their own stories that you can get invested in. And that's just not here so far. It's just a lot of like, ha, that's funny. And then you kind of move on. But it, it doesn't it doesn't really go that extra mile, I think, to really mm-hmm. invest you so far. And maybe that'll change, right? I still have a lot of the game left to pay to play. But that's definitely been a red flag mm. so far. Sure, yeah. I bought it. I haven't played it yet, but I'm stoked to try it out. It's yeah. Really like my first real Paper Mario game. Like okay. I, I played a tiny bit in 64 one. Yeah. So I don't have to deal with the legacy of Thousand Year Door or anything yet. No. Yeah, I wish they could. I mean, on one hand, I, I don't think you can just constantly compare it to 2000 Year Door. Uh, you you kind of do have to accept it as its own thing. But at the same time, I think that comparison also informs like, ah, this this could be better. This is a point that they can improve on. This is something they have done better in the past. Um, but something I really like, uh, Brad, that this game does very, very well is... Yes, it is an RPG and you do get into battles where you'll, you know, bonk an enemy and then you'll have a transition, you'll go into a battle screen, that all happens. But there's also a lot of just adventuring within the world. Like you'll go to a new area and it's like, oh, well, all these toads are hidden around. Uh, Like a toad, because it's origami, they'll be folded up in different ways. My favorite one so far is you go and you see a classic Super Mario Brothers flagpole. And you're like, I wonder what I can do with this. And so you use the different actions that you have to kind of get to the flagpole and get to the flag. And then you find out the flag unfolds and it turns into a toad. It's a toad, yeah, that's cool. And there are tons of moments like that. And the game actually does a fantastic job of that where you will see like, there's something I can do in this environment. Like maybe I'll open up a path, use my hammer to break a wall, use my origami arms to peel something off. Like the world is very, very, very interactable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's something that I love. And I think something that JRPGs still do a pretty poor job of. A lot of JRPGs are, it's like, okay, you know, your, your adventuring is like, getting to hit a monster out in the field before you yeah, fight it or maybe a chest, maybe a chest around the corner. And so um, in a lot of ways, I think the origami King feels like as much uh, an adventure game as it does an RPG, which is really, really cool. Are you liking it more than um, what was the last one? Color splash. Yeah, I played, I did not play all of color splash. I only played a little bit of color splash. And so I'm struggling to remember my my feelings on Color Splash, and I think I'd have to revisit it to do a better mm-hmm. comparison. But my memories of Color Splash, I, I like this more than the battle system that was present in Color Splash. I think okay. I think it's a, I'm a little bit more engaged. Um, it's a little bit more demanding than what I saw in yeah. Color Splash, and that could change. I think maybe you'll get so good at the puzzles um, that sure, yeah, it completely trivializes it. But um, you in t- so you. You, there's this toad town that you kind of slowly rebuild, which is cool, where it's been completely taken over by giant paper mache Goombas, and you have to go and like destroy them by by not doing an RPG battle with them, but by avoiding their attacks in the world and then just running up and hitting them with a the hammer. Um, and as you kind of defeat the paper mache Goombas, and as you bring toads into the town, you restore the town, which is really neat. And one of the guys is like the the master of this like battle training gym area. 
and you can go and there's this machine that he has where it will run you through 10 puzzles and you try to get the best time that you have. And I was like, oh, this is actually like not all of them, but some of them are pretty tricky. Like maybe I'm just not a great puzzle video game player, but some of them really make me think and I don't have an immediate answer for. Um, And I think what's smart about the Origami King's design is Yes, you're just rotating and sliding, but there's kind of two different ways you want to line up an enemy, either in a straight line or as a group. And it's very easy to get tunnel vision. And you're like, it's got to be a straight line for these guys. Like they have to line up in a straight line and it just doesn't quite work. And you're like, oh no, it's a group. And I just didn't see it because I was too focused on this one thing. Um, And so I think it's a good balance between like having a couple of simple ways that you can uh, form dudes up, but not so much that there's too much to think about and you're overwhelmed. Um, but it is very easy to kind of get tunnel visioned on one, one line of thought. And Mm -hmm. it has just enough to kind of encourage you to pull you out of that mindset, which is really, really neat. Cool. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see what others think, uh, when they play it. I know a lot of people, Really just want them to make like thousand euro door two where it's like this game is so good and so beloved. I just want that style. And I, I want that as well. And so I get it. But at the same time, I'm sitting here thinking, boy, it really is trying something different, not just Mm -hmm. for paper Mario, but, but for, you know, RPG platformer hybrids, like it's a really, really weird game. um, Mm -hmm. And I do respect it for it. Um, also, yeah. to, to aid the tedium, Brad, something that's nice is once you kind of get more powerful, they're like, okay, if you hit these guys, you don't have to fight them. Like, they'll just turn into coins. Oh, and that so, is nice. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a nice way of... Uh, cool. Yeah, it is nice. I like that. Getting around that stuff. But, uh, Brad, mm. this might hurt Brandon Jones's uh, feelings, but you, uh, you win the best take for today. Oh, and uh, the best take is just me rewarding what I think are, are good opinions. And uh, oh, I think nice. I, the reason why I'm, I'm rewarding you is I think you handled that Ghost of Tsushima talk really, really well. Oh, thank you. And uh, I am uh, the way that the best take works is I'm going to give you a, a category and you have to give me good opinions on this category. You got to get the oh, combo no. started. And the subject today is right up Brandon Jones's wheelhouse. It's something he's very passionate about. It's something that you like too, Brandon yeah. Jones. He he might be uh, squirming in his seat a little bit. Your best take is amusement parks. So I have to give you an opinion about these, like what I like about them? Yeah, so you have to say like, you know, I think the food at amusement parks is the best food in the world. Something like that. Like something that you just, you're like, this is true about amusement so, parks. So one of my favorite things in almost every medium, what it, movies, games, anything in life is setting and environment. And I feel like when you go to amusement parks, so I'm just thinking of Disneyland, I get this sense of I'm not in the real world almost kind of thing. I'm almost in this weird, this weird time thing that takes me to different parts in the world in mm-hmm. different times or like in some weird, like I'm in a portal taking me to alternate dimensions, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I stand in the middle right there with Walt and Mickey, you know, right there. And I'm at the gate, Brandon, and any path I take takes me to a completely different universe almost. You go, you got your adventure land over here, you got your fantasy land, you got your 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 uh your tomorrow land and your fantasy land. Mm. So it's almost like, man, 
it like feels like a banjo, like Mario, Super Mario, or like yeah, yeah. Super Mario 64. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit, these paintings, they take me to different areas. It feels like when I make that, I'm at that crossroads, I'm like, okay, I'm going to this area, and I get this completely different vibe. And of course, like Disneyland or Disney, they got the bucks, man. So they can really sell that immersion experience. When you walk through like Adventureland, you got like Treehouse, you got Indiana Jones, like the excellent theming of place and things like the restaurants that do a really great job of tying it all in. So I do get that feeling of the sense of I'm not in the real world almost, especially with how much production's put in it. Like, man, there's not even like trash on the floor, dude. Like, how sick is that? <laughs> you know, Brad... I think that's a very good point. And that's something that I love about amusement parks is when you can just like go um, and they, especially if you care about the property specifically mm -hmm. and you pick up on so many things like going to galaxy's edge and, oh and all of the different ways they try to immerse you in that world. It's awesome. This is going to make me sound like a huge asshole, but the thing that always ruins it for me is Other people? Just too many people. Yeah, like, of course. Yeah, my yeah, fantasy yeah. is just Other like, people ruin everything. Yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just, my fantasy is just, I just want to go to these parks, like just me and run around and like really pretend that but I'm there. But sometimes, Ben, it can be enhanced for me with other people if they're into it. Oh yeah, like, definitely. Man, if I'm on like a ride with someone like who's a tourist and never been on a, this ride before, like Indiana Jones, and they are just having a blast, like riding on this Jeep. That makes yeah. it even better for me. Um, ben, one of my favorite Disneyland memories, we're walking out of uh, Indiana Jones and I'm walking with Amanda and we're walking out. She's not going to be happy I told this story. And <laughs> we're walking down the line and she leans over to me and she's like, I farted. And I'm like, oh, okay. And this kid behind us goes, Mom, somebody tune in. <laughs> And we're like, oh, God. And if you've been on Indiana Jones in, in Anaheim, it's a long exit. It takes mm -hmm. you basically it the same way you go in. And so it's just this long hallway. So we're walking ahead of this family, still going, still going. And we're almost going to make it out. And he goes, somebody tune it again. <laughs> <laughs> and I just kind of like look over at Amanda. Uh, damn, that's a good story. I think that's one of my favorite Brandon Jones stories So some time. people, sometimes people make it, you know. Absolutely. Some days they totally ruin it. And then other times, man, I was walking by Fantasmic one time and like the dragon came out or like some character was revealed and this kid was on his dad's shoulders and he went, oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, that kid made my day. Yeah. That kid absolutely made my day. See, that's what I'm saying, man. When yeah. people get pumped up about it, it's fun. Yeah, yeah that's true. Brad, you're, you're off to an incredible start. Maybe the best start to a uh, uh, best take combo that we've had. Can you keep it going? No. That's it. You're no, shutting I, it down I, I, right I, there. No, I'll try again. <laughs> oh, damn. Sure, I'll try again. One hit KO. Okay. Give me another one. About amusement parks? Yeah. Okay. This, okay, this is something weird also that I've come to like as I've gotten older. And it makes me feel like an old person because I remember my parents being into this when I was younger is as I've gotten older, I've really started to like the shops, just looking around the shops, like what merch, even I'm not going to buy anything, like what merch is specific to this area? The vibe in each shop is also completely different. Like, mm -hmm. man, when I walk into like some like shop in frontier land, man, it's like cowboy style. You got that vibe going on the furniture. Then I walk into Tomorrowland, it's like fucking Star Wars Central, like <laughs> out of control going on. You got people building lightsabers over there. So I appreciate like the, the aspect of certain things being tied to specific areas of the park. Brad, uh, I, I feel like with amusement parks, you know, merch can be 
divided into very specific categories. Like, yeah. you got your people that are like way into pins. You've got people that are way you into shirts. You got your shirts. jackets. Yeah, you've got like action figures. Is yeah. there is there a specific type of merch that you tend to get most interested in? Oh man, it's the shirts, dude. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but it depends on the place, man. It depends on like the exact shop. Like, man, because Haunted Mansion has just like a bunch of cool little knickknacks. Yeah. But it's like, Dude, this isn't going to go with anything in my house. Nothing. Like this <laughs> candelabra, like a skeleton or whatever. Like, it looks cool. I can bring that out Unless once a year. Unless that's all you decorate. Unless that's, that's all I decorate. Yeah. Brad. Okay, so we went to Galaxy's Edge, I think, in December of last year. Something like that. And I, I was, like, so hyped on Star Wars. I was in a Star Wars zone yeah, yeah. at that point. And you can build your own lightsaber. I know, at Galaxy's dude. Edge. And I was like, I got to do this. I have to do this. And my wife was like, Ben, this is hundreds of dollars. And you're, it's it's just going to sit yeah. in our fucking apartment. And it's not going to do anything. But I was like, no, like, this is so cool. Like, you can't you can't do this. It's a presentation. Yes. But she talked me down from it. And like six months later, I was like, you know, thanks for thanks for not letting it's me buy that dumb lightsaber. Well, I was so the, grateful. Well, I was so what grateful. about the droids, man? Did you see the droids? I did see the droids. They it's were like, really expensive too. Yes, it's like, I don't even give a shit about having this. Like, I don't even, like, if I bought it, it would sit in my closet. But the act of putting it together for some reason, yeah. they make it so alluring. Yeah. They're, dude, they are manipulative. They are. Manipulate me. There's even some dumb stuff that has nothing to do with you actually like, building your droid in there. They have the restraining bolt. So for like, you know, Star Wars fans, you got the the bolt that you got to take off, and then you know, droids can go yeah. wherever they want to. They just have that as a magnet. Yeah. And like I walked by, and I was like, ah, I'm just kind of chuckled at it, man. It's like, what is this? And I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, yeah, dude. There's really very few people in the store right they now had, that probably know what the hell that is. I like. <laughs> I wanted to buy a Sith holocron. Yeah. Like, what the hell am I gonna do with that? Yeah, yeah. Where am I gonna even put this? Yes. Yeah. But it just looked sick because yeah. I think it kind of leads back into what you were saying before where you're kind of immersed in the world at that moment. Yes. Like it seems even cooler when you're surrounded by things, yeah. everything that looks like Star yeah. Wars. But then when you like are home and you have your Sith holocron like next to a box of cat food, it's just not as cool anymore. Yeah. You know? Like, <laughs> you know how, dude, I've wanted to buy stuff in like the Pirates of the Caribbean shop like a thousand times. Yeah. yeah. But I'm like, what the hell am I going to do with this skeleton in a treasure chest? Like, yeah. Nothing. It looks yeah. awesome where it's at and the vibe because I'm feeling the vibe. I can like smell the water from the ride yeah, almost. Yeah. I'm immersed. It's like, I don't need this. I will say wearing the Indiana Jones fedora on the Indiana Jones ride. Is 10 out of 10. Yeah. That's the most Indiana Jones off. thing I've ever heard in my life. But then if you, it's easy if you buy it there and then you go on the ride, but you got to bring it back. Yeah. yeah. Brad, I, I think oh. you did a, a pretty good job, and I think this is one where we could keep the combo going for a long time. Juggle them in the air. Let's give Jones some, man. Jones? Oh, okay. Jones is like the theme park expert. This is going to be a four-hour podcast. I have two. Okay, give me two. Give me two. Say. Okay, first of all, uh, what, uh, like you were saying, Brad, you, you know, you go into one realm and it like you know teases the other. One thing that I think is really clever, and I think a lot of theme parks are getting really good at especially ones like universal's building something obviously there's nintendo land but like universal's building a new thing in florida and disney's you know has new parks all the time is understanding that you're still gonna see stuff so like if you're in main street you can see the matterhorn it mm -hmm. doesn't really make sense you know and so they're, they're getting a little smarter one of my favorite kind of bridges between worlds is in florida when you go to the harry potter land and you go to the hogshead and you like get a beer and then you go out on the back balcony you're looking at jurassic park you can't see the ride 
all you can just see are trees. And so it's just like, Ooh. oh, it's a forbidden forest, mm-hmm. you know? And then like, if you go to Jurassic Park, you can hear the screams from the dragon ride. And so it's it's fun to see these worlds kind of bleed into each other and things that make yeah. sense. The uh, uh, Just the castle in, in Disneyland in Anaheim does a really interesting job of like, it's London, but then it's Switzerland, but then it's Italy, but that, you know, but it all kind of blends together at the same mm-hmm. time. So I like that stuff. The other thing too, and the main reason I like theme parks is because it's the only place I know in the world that is a celebration of just every form of art I can think of. Choreography, yeah. costumes, set yeah. design, writing, music, live performance, stunts, like um, that the, even the smallest artists at Disneyland can just completely blow my, the guy just playing the piano by the, you know, on yeah. Main Street, you know, I could just like watch him for an hour. Um, so I want Brandon Jones to make his own theme park one of these days. Mm. Dude, so me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Theme park, like the the game is like, oh. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to roller coaster tycoons. Just like, get it away from me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> spent. Uh, a buddy of mine took, I think it was roller coaster tycoon. I can't remember. And he made, uh, um, World of Warcraft. He made Kalimdor and these two. Like the Maelstrom was like its own. In the middle was like its own. Brandon, big did you ever see Blizzard World and Overwatch? The map? Yeah, 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 yeah. Holy shit. Yep. I want that to be real so bad. Friend of mine in high school made Lord of the Rings. So like the, the Misty Mountain Hop was a roller coaster. <laughs> oh and, my God. It's pretty good. Dude, it's pretty stop. good. Yeah, stop. Uh, this best take is brought to you by some wonderful shout out to your patrons. If you would like us to shout out your name on our lovely podcast, that's a $250 tier on Patreon. You can find out more on patreon.com slash easy allies. When we shout out these people, I was thinking we we might make it like a little jazzy and give it like a shout out. Yeah. Shout out. I don't know. Uh, You you know, put your own flavor on it. But our first shout out is Blue. Shout out. Ooh, shout out, baby. <laughs> Caleb, Togi, Crawford. Shout out. Yeah, shout out. Shout out. Elphanis. I'm gonna shout him out. Shout out. Greg, the Dark Knight. Kettering. Shout out. Shout out. And Jesse Blue. Shut up. Shut up. Sax solo. All right. That was uh, better than I could have ever hoped for. Nice. Brandon, you really. Uh, perfectly in sync, I, I, I think. I think all of our snaps were right on. <laughs> was it? Oh, that's great. No, okay. it's impossible. No, to no, no, it's oh. I stopped. Was it? <laughs> I was like, nah. <laughs> you should hear what love and respect sounds like before I fix it. In every podcast, sounds like a nightmare. It's like love and respect. Back, give respect back. <laughs> Brandon, this doesn't. the The hardest thing about podcast moderating is like you have to be in the moment, but also thinking about the next thing. And yep. so, like, yeah, you could totally be like, "Oh, that happened," and be like, "Wait, what? I was thinking of what we're going to do down the line." And what we're going to do down the line is talk about Bloodstained: Curse of the Moon too. Oh shit! Uh, which we have all played, but uh, yeah. Brad, I don't think we've really gotten your perspective on it. Uh, quick, quick answer. It's good. I'm having a real good time with it. It's so I haven't, there's multiple runs you could do. I'm on episode two or whatever. So I've gone through it one time. Yeah. And I think, so I think it'll get deeper, but what I'm doing right now is I'm going through, I just went through the first level again on Mm -hmm. the second thing. 
much harder this time around, which is cool as it should be, mm-hmm. but you have a lot more of the characters with you. I'm curious about what will change also. Like, I think maybe some of the characters from the first game are in it. I think I can tell you, um, yeah. but uh, I think they are. Yeah, they, they, they are. They are the first character. The That's cool. Yeah, I like that. But they're you you're you're not quite there yet. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so as you guys know, I love the old Castlevania games. This mm. game continues that tradition, of course, that the first one did. Right. I think it makes things a little more interesting. I think the levels are a little better this time around. Yeah. Certainly harder this time around. Right. I feel like it's a, it's not going to like, from what I've played, it hasn't like blown me away in anything new, mm. but what it's doing is like what was there in the first game. They're building off that and just making small tweaks here and there to change things up. I would say like, it's hard for me to have a hard stance to this until I've done everything. Right. But from the levels I've gone through, I feel like they've done a very good job of, keeping up that challenge that I love and like just this crazy, sometimes punishing design layouts, especially like it, dude, it ramps up in the fire level, I would say. Yeah. That's when stuff really starts to get tough. I I just think, I I just think straight up, it's, it's a more refined game than Curse of the Moon 1 was. I think the level design is better. I think the characters and their abilities and how that is balanced in the boss fights and the levels themselves is more thought out than it was in the first game. Um, like, absolutely, there are plenty of cheese strats in Curse of the Moon 2, but I think they are, even those cheese strats take more effort and you have to think through them a little bit more than some of the stuff in Curse of the Moon 1. Yeah, what I like about Curse of the Moon 2 so far is that, so Curse of the Moon 1 is like heavily based on Castlevania 3, yes. even the character archetypes. Right. And this one, I feel like they went a little more all out mm-hmm. with kind of finding their own things, like especially like yep. Robert and Hachi. Because, you know, G-Bell was... He's Alucard, pretty much. Right. And a lot of those characters, the wizard guy was uh, Sypha, pretty much. But it's like, yes, they're kind of like finding their own unique takes on this world now, with characters, at least. Um, and kind of along with the the refinement between the character abilities, I think a huge part of that is I, I love how sub-weapons are handled in this game. And it, it is a, such a strategic element in each, in each level where things are placed in a way where it's like, if you just think about it or you experiment with a certain sub-weapon, it'll be mm-hmm. so much easier. And I think how useful a sub-weapon is, it correlates to its cost very effectively. Like there's some stuff that is incredibly powerful, but if you misuse it, you will be out of sub-weapon ammunition. Yeah. And so like even just the act of breaking lanterns, I think is consistently exciting because of how powerful sub-weapons yeah, can be. Yeah, it never feels like I'm just stocked up and it doesn't mm. matter. Like I'm skipping these. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm not skipping these if they're in my, my path. Yeah, definitely. Um, Brandon, you played it on stream, which is, is I, th- I think playing a tough game like that on stream yeah, when you're not that definitely. familiar with it is always well, a hard time. Sub weapons was a great, I was just grabbing whatever fell in front of me. Yeah. I was not strategizing at all. Like chat was <laughs> screaming at me. They're like, use the thing that goes in the ceiling. And it's like, if I had to figure out what that looked like, if I would equip it where it wasn't a level and when I should use it, I'm going to stop at playing this game for 10 minutes and just stare at the screen. Like it's yeah. going to take, like I'm going to be playing this at a mm-hmm. much different pace than I would trying to entertain mm-hmm. people that I'm like streaming um, for. But I, I honestly think my favorite thing that I guess I just forgot or didn't really realize how well or how committed they were to doing until I just like booted up the game and was like, Oh yeah, I remember. Oh, mm-hmm. curse. The moon is so good is there's something about there's like the messenger and there's like other games that like go for like a classic NES you know, or SNES style, but they do it in a way that it kind of, it has a flavor of it, but obviously they're like, we want this to, 
you know, we don't want to be held back by making mm -hmm. something visually looks interesting or adding gameplay elements or even just kind of a physicality or something that you just never see on an NES. Right. And this is a little more elaborate than obviously something that would run on that system. Oh, yeah. It seems more kind of like stuck, you know, not, not in a good way. You know, it seems more committed to right. being like, no, this needs to feel like Castlevania three, like yeah. this mm -hmm. needs to. And so it just, just the, the way the characters look, the way the sound design is, the way the menus work, it just, it all fits in. I just like, I, it, I time travel instantaneously. It's like 30 years ago, like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, to going back and playing those games. And so when something is difficult in this game, it just feels, it feels like a, a callback to an earlier time. Even mm -hmm. though you're playing a newer game, it just, it, 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 it calls back to being frustrated and, you know, yanking NES controllers out of the machine when I was a kid and, you know, throwing a tantrum. <laughs> I think that's a really good point. Um, but to kind of complement that point, like I, when I'm playing Curse of the Moon 2, I want to play it on veteran. I want to be knocked back when an enemy hits me. Like I want that so bad. But then when I was playing it with my wife, it's like, okay, we can, it's like, she's, she's not familiar with Castellini at all. So mm -hmm. let's put it on casual. Let's get used to like switching characters, especially between two players, which is super fun. Um, that is something that I, I kind of like about giving you that NES experience, but also making compromises that totally appeal to different types of players where it's like, there are just certain NES games where, you know, unless you're really committed to learning them, they're going to be hard to approach, uh, especially mm -hmm. if you didn't grow up with that. Right. And so I, I think Curse of the Moon 2 is really taking the best of both worlds where it's like, if you want that experience, you can definitely have it. We won't stop you. But every time we boot up the game, we'll give you the option of kind of what you're in for. And I think it really threads mm -hmm. that needle super, super well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's How's the, the multiplayer? So it's co-op. You guys play at the same time. Yeah. Can you be the same character at the same time? Um. <sighs> When, when I was playing it with her, we because we, at the beginning, you only start as Zangetsu. And mm -hmm. so there was two Zangetsus, but then it wasn't like there were two Dominiques and then two Roberts oh, and then okay. two Hachis. It's just two. Probably it was two Zangetsus. And then you that was part of the coordination is you had to work with um, each other to decide like, okay, you be you know Dominique now mm -hmm. and I'll be Zangetsu or you be Robert. And mm -hmm. that kind of plays into the strategy. Yeah, that's well. a really interesting um, addition. Yeah, it I is. Say. Yeah. It is. I think it's bummer, a bit of a bummer that it's local only. Um, like, yeah. I think that's the way you want to play it if you can is, you know, on the same couch mm -hmm. communicating with each other. But I do think online would be would be nice mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy that game exists. What a nice surprise again. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, NT Creates. I, uh, it's funny because we lament the loss of Castlevania so much, but it's like, if they just keep making more Bloodstain, I'll probably be fine. Yeah, it's filling the void. It's filling the void, definitely. Like, there's aspects of Castlevania I miss, sure. like the lore and all yeah. that stuff, mm -hmm. but, like, this is very nice, and I'm extremely thankful. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Brandon, mm. talk to me about Iron Man VR. Yeah! Uh, this was this was something that was a little salty on when it first got announced, but only because I thought it was a strange thing. To uh, everybody's got to be careful with that Marvel logo. Everybody's got to chill out. If you get it, if you, if you team up with Marvel and you show that Marvel logo before a presentation, you know, like people's expectations are going to fly all over the place. Mm -hmm. But uh, I can be very critical of Iron Man VR. But the moment uh, you start the first level and they say, "Yeah, put your hands out and then hit the thrusters," and then. And then, yeah, that's your that's your jets. That's how you're going to move around. I was like, oh, like 10 seconds in. I'm like, yes, 
yes, this is why you made it. Like this, they made just some demo and they were like, what about this? What if you controlled Iron Man this way? And I've controlled Iron Man in player. I, uh, I played Marvel Hero. No, Marvel Heroes was the PC game. Marvel Heroes United for uh, Oculus. And just the way you move him in this game is uh, you, you steer a little bit with your head. I had to learn that more that I was like, ah, that's <clears> the last <throat> part of it that I'm missing. But primarily it's just wherever your hands are moving in relation to each other. So if they're both behind you, you're going to move forward. If they're underneath you, you're going to uh, you know, go straight up. Uh, if they're in front of you, you're going to go back. And so uh, it's kind of fun, like having your palms up and firing at dudes. And then there's one enemy that does this kind of like vector graphics, like targeting animation where you can tell, like, I'm going to shoot you in three, two, one. Mm -hmm. And it's just really simple to, you know, like move out of the way right at the last minute and then shoot it. And then obviously, because your hands are your thrusters, you can't fire and shoot at the same time. And so you can either, you know, like blast over somewhere and then put yourself in a safe zone. So even if I drift over into this area, it's fine because I can just turn to the side and fire, 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 and then stop me before I hit something or then redirect. Or, which I honestly didn't do a ton, but the game does kind of hint that like you might want to get good at this, uh, just do one and one. So like mm. just kind of mm -hmm. maneuver a little bit with one hand and then be firing with the other. But it was a lot of like, kind of like a cover system in a game. It was a lot of like, let me get to where I need to be. And then, um, uh, I, I must say up front, I'm blown away they didn't have there's a laser that comes out of your chest. It's called the Omni Beam. And I think you unlock it like halfway through. And it's just a meter that you build up. And then Friday's in your head, which is great because uh, I think that graphically, that's one of the most gratifying things is you have his HUD in front of your face wherever you're looking around. Even though it's like a little big, it's like it's like there. You know, and I'm like, oh, it would seem like it would be <laughs> in movies. It looks like it's a little closer to his face, but it would probably be jarring to like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in a, a VR game. But uh, you, the only thing you have with your hand, you can move your, once you move your arm straight out, that activates whatever like special weapon is on either arm. But if you put up your palms and fire, it's just like what they call repulsors. So it's just a pew, pew, pew. Where Iron Man definitely has like, bzz, like the laser that he does out of his hand and you don't get that. And I was like, oh, like you get the like chest beam thing that's on a cooldown or that you have to like build up like a currency. You have to like kill enough uh, drones to, to take them out. But I was like, I was just, I thought, you know, it's like when he hits Thanos and Thanos blocks with the sword, it splinters in all these different directions. I was like, oh, I can't wait to get that upgrade. And like, never happened. Uh. Iron Man 2, maybe. Um, and they did, story-wise, I think they did a good job. Uh, if you followed all of the MCU, there's a fun character. Uh, I mean, if I, I, I couldn't help but spoil it because there's not a lot of different level design in that game. So like I had to, uh, I inevitably had to show like the ultimate villain in the game. But I won't mention it here because uh, if you are a fan of the MCU and you're interested in checking it out, it was a villain that was not associated in the MCU with Iron Man. So it was mm. kind of fun to, mm. to, to not only see like, oh, that's a fun villain for, Iron, for Tony to fight, but then like, oh, that actually makes sense why that would be somebody that would cross paths with Tony. And then there was like Living Laser, which I'd never heard of before. And it was fun to just Google like Living Laser. And then uh, there was one villain that I, uh, or, or one character in the game that I was uh, convinced was, I was like, oh, what a brilliant, you know, character for Tony to be associated with, and they thought it up, like they invented mm. it for the game. Oh. Um, and so there's just, a, there's, you know, you got Pepper, you got you got uh, um, uh, Nick Fury, um, you have um, Kobe Smolder's character, whose name I don't recall right away, but like uh, Nick Fury's kind of like, you know, uh, right hand shield folks, soldier. Uh, but I don't remember if she was in uh, the comics or not, um, but she's she's in the game as well. Um, not a ton of adventure talk. I would have, I could have, I would have thought going to some of these areas, there would have been like at least just, you know, 
just say the word, you know, Thor. Or they, but they don't really, it's really, really just focused on, on Iron Man. Whereas even Spider-Man kind of joked about the Avengers. You go by Doctor Strange's building. Like there's a little bit of, of those nods. Um, I mean, the Avengers Towers in that game. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of Tony Stark stuff. There's a lot of fun. There's two two parts of the game where you get the glasses and you get to like snap the glasses and then slide them on. Okay. Uh, that's And that like highlights good? stuff in that's the environment. Cool. And so it's, yeah. it's just kind of neat because you remember like, oh yeah, he's always wearing those glasses. And so you, it, it's neat to like analyze stuff and, and, you know, in some of the environments that you're in that it will explain, you know, what some of the objects are. Um, the characterizations were like, okay, it's, it's kind of like the new Avengers game where it's just a, it's a, it's a tough thing to do to kind of turn around an Iron Man that will be interesting in 2020. Um, Pepper is like very sassy, you know, like I, I definitely think there was just kind of like uh, a reserved um, performance from Gwyneth Paltrow that she was always kind of the one that was like, you know, kind of let Robert Downey Jr. go off and be nuts. And she's like, no, I have to run the business. And like, mm -hmm. that's that, that kind of uh, had, they had a great, um, uh, they were a great pairing. I thought just personality wise, whereas like everybody sassy, like pepper, sassy, fury, sassy, Tony, sassy. Um, so that didn't necessarily take things like emotionally to new places that I hadn't been to before. Um, but and you go back to some environments like six times. <laughs> it's like, Ooh, no, six. Ma Malibu again. No, you know. Um, so if only we so, could go back to that first level of orc Orcs Mustache. I know. It just doesn't have the same, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have the same uh, gratification. Um, so Brandon, that, was, that was a bit of a bummer. Uh, I, I feel like what you're describing and like what I would naturally be worried about with an Iron Man VR game, uh, like it sounds like a blast, but... Again, think, thinking of like, oh, is it reading my movements right? Oh, uh, uh, mm -hmm. a cat is joining us, by the way. Nice. Oh, uh, nice. Dun, 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 is it dun, is dun. it reading my movements right? Like, <laughs> is it tracking my head correctly? Like, just yeah. the responsiveness and the accuracy of the technology itself, I think, would be a natural concern. Uh, yeah. How how did that handle for you? Uh, that was great. The only there are only two things that kind of caught me up is is. You're, I played it standing. I was like, oh, it's going to be PSVR. I can just play this at my desk. And I was like, wait, no. I have like the, the, when it, Right when the game starts, they're like, extend your arms to either side. And I'm like, uh-oh. Uh <laughs> like, okay, never mind. Yes. Um, and they, they actually like, measure like how long that is. And then they determine like how where they're going to place your hands in front of you. Um, and the only, yeah, the only two things that were tricky for me were um, that, you know, just getting into an open space, you're standing. And so sometimes it's like simulating Iron Man when he goes like jets from the boots and jets from his hands straight out. And obviously you're just, you're standing. And so mm -hmm. uh, that's just a matter of, you know, just getting into the mindset of the character. It's just kind of, you're always in hover mode uh, as you're playing as him. And uh, I would uh, love, 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 love for this to be on Oculus Quest someday, because it'd be really fun to play this without a wire. Because then, because they mm -hmm. have on the, the way it controls and the move controllers is the top, right button and the top left face button uh move the camera and boy i tried to it was really trick editing the review because that is not fun to watch when you are like watching a video of somebody playing when you do it yourself in psvr it's fine mm. but like when you watch someone do that it's like i know i'm gonna do it and so i'm gonna like skip ahead and swerve my head at the same time and yeah. it's just extremely jarring like to watch someone else do it or watch a recording of it um, but if you were just in quest, it'd be interesting to just spin the whole time. So if I'm racing, I can just do this, you know, like I don't have to like, okay, move the camera 20 degrees or however, it, you know, however it shifts every time you press it. I ran uh, into but I got, I got used to it. It was just something that I'm like, that would be a little more freeing if I didn't have this cable running between my legs. I, I ran into that dilemma reviewing Half-Life Alex, where there were mm -hmm. multiple movement options and the one that 
like felt the most comfortable like i can actually enjoy this game playing it this way was the teleport option but it's like well watching video of that that's way less Mm. interesting and easy to follow than actually full smooth motion and so uh yeah that has you know we don't do a ton of vr coverage but we do run into to problems like that which is interesting weird weird thing this is nothing to do with the game but like weird thing about the psvr it it tends to go real high so Mm. like yeah in the shot in my review when you see me say like oh and living laser is a fun character that they added his feet are cut off and like his they were not (laughs) like i could totally see him head to toe in the actual game but there's weird like something about the bottom of your perspective in psvr that like so I, I think I remembered that there was some game I was reviewing that I was like, uh, I think I recorded some footage, then watched it. And so I always kind of like, uh, like reviewed the game with like my head down mm-hmm. just so everything would be framed. That reminds me Better. of like how game trailers used to have to do Vita reviews where it was like, okay, oh, God. Yeah, we, we like, don't have direct feed. So we yeah. have to like hold the Vita like this. Oh sure man. Clamped to a large boardroom yeah. table. Yeah. Uh, and just uh, progression-wise, it's you know you unlock skins. That's really fun for each level. When when Iron Man's face pops up in the HUD, talking to other people, he's wearing the skin. So that I thought that was a fun cool. little detail. And uh, you are like standing in front of the suit in his garage when you're like, okay, bring up thrusters, and then like the panel comes up. And uh, so it's it's fun to customize stuff. And there's not you kind of have to decide what you want to do because you can craft something. So it's like one of them was just like a machine gun on one hand. And then once I craft that, that's it. I can't, there's no leveling that up after the fact. Mm. I just basically like, do I want that on both hands or just one hand? And so I got to a point about halfway through the game where I'm like, I'm good. This is, you know, I, there is more stuff I can unlock, but it doesn't sound like my type of play style. Like mm. I think I'm set on like my Iron Man. And so it was neat that they gave you options, but it wasn't the kind of thing where it's like, you're constantly going back and more points into strength, more points into gotcha. know, thrusters. It's like, do you want your thrusters to have better max speed or do you want them to accelerate faster? You know, it's kind of like Mario Kart. You know, it's like you know, you're, you're swapping wheels out. You know, it's not like there's no right answer. It just kind of factors into your, your play style. Big boy, top speed. Uh, how long yeah. is the game? It's not that long. Okay. I think it was like two nights that got me through it. Um, I haven't revisited PlayStation VR in some time, but I feel like uh, compared to index i i feel like i i do struggle with vr sickness and it tends to be worse with psvr than it is sure on, yeah. on, with pc headsets was that an, yeah. an issue for you because i know you're pretty acclimated to vr you know, at this point the, the only stuff that gets me is just because it's you know it's it's the that that reviewer life where it's like i gotta put six hours into this thing in one yeah. run you know yeah. it's just it's like oh yeah. <laughs> like, your eyes just you know they can't handle it um and it's tough too because like i'll you know, I, I, we're we're starting and stopping recording clips, and so I'm like, okay, mission's done, and then I can, like move the headset up and like go over to my desk and like stop. Okay, Jones, I've... and then like it's it's like sitting on the bridge of my nose, and then I'm like, all right, okay, put it back on. Jones, I've reviewed, like, uh. <laughs> I've reviewed three VR games, and man, capturing for that sucks. Yep, a little tricky. It's so <laughs> lame. <laughs> I, I love because when I was reviewing Half Life Alex, I love the awkward moment where you you hit like record clip right and then you put your headset on and mm-hmm. then you're you're like okay i gotta i gotta stop the clip and so you like lift <laughs> yeah. the headset up and you kind of wobble over to your computer every every button. clip has 20 seconds at the front and back yes it's just garbage yep, yep it's yep, just yep. like alex's head fell off <laughs> but um uh definitely must be said this wasn't something that like made me sad when i looked at it in the levels but like 
this game doesn't look great. Mm. It's not, you know, like sure. there's a there's one level you go back to a couple times that's Shanghai and like it works well enough that like when you get down to the ground, like, oh, there's some some pop in now. We're like, oh, there's street lights and you know, there's no cars driving around or anything, but like uh at a distance it's it's uh it's it's pretty rough. They sure. they just they they definitely put more of a focus on uh you know movement and uh, there's an interesting mix between things that you can avoid and stuff that kind of like time crisis in front of you, like drones that just follow you wherever you go. So it's like you can't like hide from them. You always have to to, to take out targets. And with the exception of boss fights, it is drones, 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 drones. Oh, that's it. <laughs> there's no there's no shooting people. There's no. Um, no drones are just something that in general drones are just not great enemies yeah they're just yeah. not that fun to fight um but there's there's a lot of them it's one of my one of the things that i really liked were tanks so it's kind of fun like landing on the ground and like just shooting a bunch of things like it's uh the, the scale works really well that way mm. i think the hel helicarrier level might have been my favorite because you can like go inside of it like through the jets in the back of the helicarrier and um it's, it's fun uh rewarding once you get that that steering right and it's VR is funny to me because sometimes I can't tell if I'm doing something physically because it'll help me play the game or if I'm just being a nerd, you know, like, so like there are moments where I'm like, yeah, and it's like, wait, <laughs> am I doing this because I tried to get through that hole because I was dodging a robot or was I just like, I'm going through the cave. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I definitely got into character and, and uh, uh, there were definitely parts of that that, uh, that I, I certainly enjoyed. And it was, I, I played it over two nights and I had to do like a little bit of extra work after that first night. And like, I had a, a very strong impulse to just like watch Endgame again. You know, mm -hmm. I like just like sat down at my computer and I'm like, I got to put something where Iron Man two or whatever, but um, <laughs> it's, and I think that's actually one of the, um, uh, my biggest takes from it is that like, I'm not an Iron Man guy. Like during civil war, I was team cap all the way. And I'm definitely a, a, a cap player in like ultimate Alliance. Definitely love Spider-Man like a lot more. Uh, probably Hawkeye is a character I would pick before I pick Iron Man. How do you and, like, not like Iron Man? I like Iron Man. It's just not, I'm not like rabid about Iron Man. Like when mm. I, when this got announced, I was like, finally my Iron Man gameplay dreams are coming true. Gotcha. But like, again, the moment I got in and was like, Oh, Oh, that's really clever. That's really fun. So you're and saying again, when you like, play the story moments of you making decisions every now and then, or like looking at, at Nick Fury as he's giving you shit, like, like, okay, this is fun. They, when, they do a good job of really making me feel like a character. When you play the Avengers with the allies, we don't have to worry about like Iron Man being taken up by you. Like you're going to be yeah. Captain America. Yeah. I bet you're going to be Hulk as well. Yeah, I'll do, I'll do some Hulk. Cap okay. or Hawkeye? We'll probably be Cap there. or Hawkeye. Wait, waiting for that Hawkeye announcement. Right. I haven't even teased it. Right, right, right. right. It's down the line, Jones. DLC. First DLC, just like Cyclops. <laughs> uh, Brandon, I feel like you were the per perfect person. Like I, some games are flexible when it comes to the allies, but I feel like you were the perfect person to mm -hmm. play Iron Man VR and talk about it on the show. Nice. Um, I'm in the process of covering a game that I don't know how to feel. I finished it. I've played all of it. Uh, and that is uh, Deadly Premonition 2. <laughs> and I I think before we start this, I have to say how much I love the first game. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have to review the first game. And so I, I could kind of just see the best elements of it. And boy, I think Swery just has such a strong voice. And that always comes across so clearly um, in his games. And I think the first time I was made aware of that was with Deadly Premonition. And just how wonderfully amazing and humorous and like, Deadly Premonition is kind of one of those games that I think you you laugh at at first, and then all of a sudden it hits you like a ton of bricks where you're like, no, I need to know how this resolves. Like, I, I am so deeply interested in this world and these characters in a way that I did not expect. Um, that game came out 10 years ago. In a way, 
Deadly Premonition 2 sort of feels like it pretends like the last 10 years didn't happen. I was going to say, it looks like it came out 10 years ago. Yeah, Yeah. and that's not entirely fair. I do think there are some some notable improvements. I think the the fast travel is super generous. Uh, I think the skateboard is is better than the car and more flexible than the car. But uh, this game just runs like ass. There's no way around it. Uh, Yeah, I don't know anything about this game, but I saw briefly someone playing it. Yeah. And man, it ran like dog shit like bad dude yeah wow and i i see people try to to say and i understand and on some level i'm very sympathetic with this argument where it's like well who who cares if the performance is bad if it has all those you know sweary elements Mm -hmm. you know that that quirkiness that humor that writing um and and it does have all of that but there are just times where it it affects how you're playing the game. Like there's a stone skipping mini game and there are just moments where you're like, wait, I missed that. Cause like the, fr- the, the game just like skipped, like it just yeah. shuddered and it messed up my yeah. timing or when you're shooting an enemy and it's just like, you have those moments where it's like, uh, uh, it, the jitteriness is affecting the game. Yeah. The game on a, on a significant level. And like the load times are just so, long that it like that wears down your is it only on switch it's only on switch oh man it's only on switch better pray for a pc version or something well (laughs) that with deadly premonition you know that may not fix it um (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah and so uh, the technical performance i think is is just so egregiously bad that it does play an effect. And I, I just don't think there's any way around it. Right. I yeah. think your tolerance of it will change depending on how much you like Deadly Premonition and, and what, how you feel. And I, I do, the story in Deadly Premonition 2 is wild. Um, I, as a fan of the first game, I'm really glad that I experienced it. It, it, nice. it goes crazy places. And I think Swery is good at indulging himself. It like, there are just moments in this game where you'll spend minutes at a time going into these non sequiturs about movies and different subjects and like bridges. And it just adds a flavor that other games don't have, right? That you, that it's the kind of flavor that you wouldn't get in any big or most big giant AAA. Yeah. Games. You're like something that feels distinctly him. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, you know, like I'm playing his game. Like when you play a Kojima game, right? Exactly. You're it's like very much like that. Yes. I'm playing a Kojima game and it shows it, it's a game that doesn't feel like it's trying to copy this, this blueprint that's been done to death. It's definitely writing its own rules, but then there are just moments where you're like, this isn't funny. Why are you doing this? There's a mm. point where, you have to do this really awful fetch quest for this guy. And you're like, this this is terrible. And I, I always hate when games do this, when they commentate on how bad the activity is that they're making you do oh, to try no, to like alleviate man. how bad it is. And you're yeah. like, no game, like just don't do the shitty thing. Um, <laughs> and then you go and you do this fetch quest and they're like, actually, why don't you run around the city and get these three other things? And you're just like, why? This isn't, yeah. this isn't funny. It just feels like it's inflating things. Um, and there's there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like the side, like <laughs> there's a ton of side quests. There's a ton of charms and things that you can uh, go out of your way to find materials for to craft. But why do that when there are three enemy types in the entire game, basically? Three? <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think there's three, well, not including bosses, but oh, okay. like, 
I'm pretty sure there's three, but even if there's not three, there's so few and they're so easy, you don't need to get any upgrades at all. Like oh. <laughs> the game is so brain dead simple when it comes to combat that there's no reason to uh, equip these charms or do any of these side quests that are completely meaningless and just like total filler. And so it's it's frustrating, and you're like, why why are these things in the game? Because there is so much goodness, and the framing device is really really cool. Mm-hmm. Where it's both a sequel and a prequel, where you will kind of begin and end chapters uh, in 2019, kind of uh, way past where the first game took place, with these new characters who are phenomenal in their own right. Uh, Aaliyah and Simon are really really great, and it's fun getting to know them. Uh, and they perfectly blend into the world of Deadly Permission. Uh, but when you're actually doing like the open world stuff, that's taking place in 2005 before the first game happened. And bouncing between those two time periods and having them inform each other uh, is great. And it actually does a pretty wonderful job of building the mystery and leaving you hanging. Um, like once things wrap up, that ramp up, uh, I think you want to know what's going to happen. And it pushes you along really, really well. It's just it like I've... <laughs> This game gets in its own way in like a really mesmerizing but completely confusing way. Uh, like mm-hmm. it's a brilliant game that just like is happy to take a shotgun to its own foot. And I it, it's a hard thing to reconcile with because I had a great time. Like at, at the end of the day, as a fan of Deadly Premonition, I had a great time. I think fans mm-hmm. of Deadly Premonition <clears throat> should totally play this game. But uh, it, it, I also feel like I can't just hand wave away all of the the rough sure. edges. And I do think the rough edges are part of the charm, but they're also rough. When does it become, like, when does the charm wear off, Right, though? right, right. Um, and I think, you're, again, your talents will vary, but uh, I hope if there is another Deadly Premonition game that they find a way to meet in the middle where they, they, they keep the charm, but maybe don't make a game that... Sometimes runs at six frames a second. That'd be nice. Crazy. Uh, But yeah, I I do think just to, you know, whenever we get some time, which is probably never, but uh, (laughs) I I think Deadly Premonition 1 is available on so many things that I encourage people to give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. No pressure, of course. It's like something I wanted to play for a long time, but you know. Yeah. But I don't know when I'm going to get to it. Yep. Totally. It, it, it would be a good thing, I think. Um, like, I love the way that Ian and Don did it. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't checked out those streams, by the way, this is a great way to, to promo them. Plug it. They played all of Deadly Premonition 1, and I think they have the perfect personalities for playing yeah. through Deadly Premonition 1. And I've done some streams, two streams with them for Deadly Premonition 2. Uh, and, like, even if you have no interest in the game, the humor and bizarreness of the game, as well as just being totally laid back and chilled streams, really good combination, I think. Yeah. Not as good as this Hotake, though. Oh, my God. And uh, we're going to bring up an old chestnut, I think. Something that has been talked about before. But I think recent games have really made me question it again. And that is the power of Metacritic. Um, So, Metacritic is still... I think if you go and you look at video game discussions, you know, whether it's on Reddit or your forum of choice or wherever that is, or Twitter or social media, like people are still very focused on scores, right? Like The Last of Us Part Two getting so much praise uh, and, and it's Metacritic, right? Anything in the 90s, it still grabs a lot of attention. 
But I, I think more and more it's painting an inaccurate picture of like what the field of criticism actually represents. Like a lot of the most critical reviews for Last of Us Part Two were unscored reviews. And some of those mm-hmm. are represented on Metacritic, but they don't play into the part that everybody is paying attention to. Um, and I think another layer of this is some of the most relevant and viewed criticism of a game is from individual creators on YouTube. And that is not necessarily getting any recognition on uh, something like Metacritic either. And so it just seems like something the community is giving a lot of attention to, mm-hmm. but is also deeply, deeply flawed. And I'm curious to to know if you guys have any strong feelings on it. Hmm. Yeah, I learned more and more about Metacritic. I, I watched that to a lot of Pierce video, and that was like, once she said something, I'm like, I never knew that. What? Which is Metacritic like just scores games from some outlets based they like read the review and they're like that eh, sounds like an eight mm. like they oh seriously do that <laughs> like damn oh, that's messed up um uh so yeah I've i wonder just, if they that- still do that because I, I the what i knew they did is they would take like some places don't use the numerical system that metacritic uses and so sometimes like you're using a b CD, they will try to convert it into their own system. Oh, I they think. probably like do that with stars for us. But before. I feel like for unscored things, they do. They have a section that is like this is unscored. Right. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I. The the problem that you're describing, Ben, of or or just the the challenge of understanding after a game comes out, kind of what is the consensus? Like, what does everybody think? It seems like impossible. It just mm. seems like something that like you you yourself are going to have to do a lot of work, but inevitably you're, there's no way you're going to experience every review. You just kind of maybe want to gravitate towards the the opinions that that um, that you know reflect your interests or that mean the most to you, or or you know the easiest way is to come from people that you generally trust, outlets that you tend to go back to um, again and again. I have never had a bad problem with scores because I've just been involved with them for so long. You mm. know, I've just, I've, I've, it, it, they've always been a part of the system that I've used for uh, reviewing games. And so um, maybe that's just something I need to step kind of outside the box, you know, and look in. I, I definitely understand people that have, uh, you know, dropped the scores. Uh, but the trick is when the people are like, yeah, we, we just kind of want, you know, it's, it's, we would prefer to just write like an eight paragraph thing and have that kind of sum up what we're thinking. And it's like, that's cool, but there's no guarantee that the developer's going to read that. There's no guarantee that a lot of people are going to read that or that, you know, maybe a soundbite or two from that is going to go out. I like to know that if I'm going to assign a score for something that that I think increases the chances of it being recognized, it being seen by people, it actually being influenced that like, if I like something, I can praise it in a certain way. And if I don't like something, hopefully that message can get to the people that made the game. Um, and so it, it does have a strange power to it, but at the same time, you want to have power as a reviewer, you know, you want your, your, you know, opinion to mean something. And so it's a hard thing, you know, for me to disparage and, and kind of thumbs down because it's worked so well for me creatively and, and uh, business-wise for so long. I think it's a useful tool. I just. It's not perfect though. Just like you said, it's, it's messy. Yeah. It's just frustrating because the ways in which it's broken feel severely broken. Like, like user reviews are a good example. And I I think there's like multiple layers to why this is bad, where a lot of people like you go and you look at user reviews on Metacritic and it's either people giving something a zero or a 10 with very little in between. And then, yeah. You know, a lot of people just have some sort of 
targeted effort against a game, and so they're just review bombing it for no reason. But if you're aware of that, right, and you're kind of part of the conversation, you're very plugged into games, that is something that you know. You're like, okay, I know why this is happening, that I can disregard that information, right? Because it's it's not really being fair to the game. But I think if you... The Metacritic is most useful, I think, to people who don't have time to read a bunch of video game reviews or simply don't care, right? Where it's just a, you know, a, a, a minor hobby that they have. And they might get on Metacritic to see what something is and not be aware of like, oh, there are unscored reviews that are more critical or, oh, what's up with this user review? They may yeah. not know what review bombing is at all. And so I think just how it's communicating information could be a lot clearer. I think it's like Rotten Tomatoes, how people just like to see a bunch of opinions real quickly. Right. They like to see, but but like a ton of people's opinions summed up in one quick thing that's easy to see mm. and easy to understand. But, but like a lot gets uh, left out of the review. Like when you talk about a lot of things, like you may give a, give a game a score, but when you actually read the review, you understand where they're coming from and like why they're actually doing this and get a great understanding. But if you just look at a score, you might miss out on a lot of that actually. Right. And the the score conversation is is as old as time, but I, I at least from my perspective, I think having shorthand is okay. I think mm-hmm. yeah. you know uh having your thoughts put into a number is, is okay. Um but I just think I don't know, you bring up rotten tomatoes and it is like Rotten Tomatoes is a good example because that plays into marketing so much now. Like when you go mm-hmm. and you yep. buy a Blu-ray, right? Like they'll have like on the certified front fresh. certified fresh. And I think it is useful as a tool to have these aggregate sites. But again, I just feel like it's only useful if they're painting an accurate picture. Whereas like mm-hmm. the last of us two is a good example and why I'm, I'm bringing up this conversation that people have had to death again, because I think there was a more critical conversation that like a certified fresh score doesn't necessarily represent. Like it wasn't giving somebody an accurate depiction of how people feel at large. Um, and I think reducing it is like, like there has to be a way to quickly give people that information while also kind of cluing them in mm-hmm. on what is surrounding a game more than just like a, yep, it's a 94. And it's like, well, it's a 94 if you don't include all of these other voices. Yeah. That I think if you're looking presence. like, if you want that kind of perspective fleshed out, you have to put in some time and do a little bit of homework and actually research it. Mm-hmm. But I think if someone just kind of like looks over something real quick, they're going to miss out on that. Yeah. Uh, Brad, you know, uh, as somebody who has been doing a ton of reviews, but hasn't been doing it maybe quite as long uh, as some of the other allies, mm-hmm. have, have, has your feeling on scoring changed at all over time? E, like, yeah, like my my ideal scoring system is a, a hundred point. I know, like, it's very like subjective and like whatever, but I, sometimes I just like just for like myself, I feel like even like one point difference can make it feel even more accurate to me. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like you can get close enough. Like there's, there's been so many times where I've been like, man, I could either give this game this or this, but I kind of want to fall in the middle, but I'm I lean a little more towards this way than the other way. So I want to go on this side of the fence, I guess. Gotcha. And you, you want more granularity in that. Yeah. 
but it's like it doesn't like if you do your job right which we hopefully can do is we can get our point across at least well enough for people to understand that where we're coming from in the review right so yeah to me like i just love having the flexibility but it's not like a huge deal breaker i guess um something that i think changes with me over time is you know is is a seven or an eight the same to you now that it was at the beginning like has your opinion on Mm -hmm. how you evaluate things changed in that sense where like an eight game is not necessarily what an eight game was to you two years ago maybe yeah i guess it's yeah, it could be like, because what's really hard is like certain numbers mean different things to other people. Yeah. Like a seven to us is like good. Yeah. Like we like this game, but it has some flaws. But like some people, that means it's like not good or mm. whatever, you know? Like a six could be like decent. Like you're having a good time with this game, but it's got a lot of problems. But there's some stuff here, but like some people think that's like trash. So people I've seen get mad, you know, kind of that games, game journalists don't really use like the whole scale. I'd say a lot of times. Right. But in our case, I feel like it's because we don't play or we don't review a lot of games that are actually falling in that category. Like if like rarely do we do a game for review that I feel like is a two rarely, like when you did fallout 76, like that was a big game and it, that was like a bad game. So you gave it a two. It was the two-iest two game I've ever yeah. played. <clears throat> yeah. Um, the, the whole scale argument is interesting and I do think people have a point. Mm-hmm. But um, it's the other thing that you have to think about is like the how the audience is conditioned. Because a lot of times I will see comments of when we give a game a seven, which we do like and think is mm-hmm. very much worth playing. Like, I can't believe you gave this such a low score. And that is how the audience is conditioned. They're, yeah. they're conditioned to think that way because a lot of outlets review things in similar ways. And so that's something you have to think about yeah. as, as a reviewer as well. This is like, I need to use a score that will most accurately convey my feelings and, and well will be understood by the audience, right? Yeah. You don't want to give something a score and, and have everybody be like, you hate it if you didn't yeah. hate it. And so that mm-hmm. you need to find the number that gets that across. Um, but yeah. Brandon, yeah. something that I'm really interested about is you are involved in every review, every yeah, single right. review that gets done. Um, and a lot of the allies, the majority of allies aren't. So a lot of us don't know uh, what the review is going to be or what score a person is going to give it until until it's live. You know, sometimes that's not the case, but uh, you are. I, is there ever an impulse to be like, this does not line up, like this script and this score or like this isn't coming across and you kind of hold back because you're like, I'll let Bloodworth and the reviewer figure that out? Or I, I, I guess like I, it would be hard for me, I think, to resist the, the temptation of putting input in, I guess, if I was reading every yeah. script. I think I think one of the things, two of the things that flag are one, uh, just franchises are tough. You know, it's mm-hmm. like if you're reviewing like Madden again, it's like, well, I got to spend a lot of time telling you all the stuff that's new because I think that's you know part of the responsibility of you know, especially if I'm like checking this out as opposed to some other game that came out earlier. Whereas that might not, I might like these modes, but I still hate what Madden's doing. You know, and so you might hear me talk you know very favorably about these things that they're adding, but it still is not enough to to get this game to where I want it to be. I remember there was a lot of confusion about that back in the game trailers days because we just had lots of reviews coming in from other people. And um, and I think uh, even just games that are new, I think it can be difficult to, sometimes I see a review full of information and not necessarily opinion. 
And so sometime a lot of that is reserved for like opening paragraph, ending paragraph. It's like the opening paragraph will be like, this game's fun, but it's just super repetitive. And then the middle part talks about all of these great things the games like could have done. You know, it's like the setup's really great. And so like the attitude is kind of positive. And then when you get to like the last two paragraphs, it's like, but the graphics suck and it's super repetitive. So mm -hmm. you're like, wait, whoa, wait. <laughs> like I just spent like the majority of this video kind of favorably getting excited about these things. And so that's why you really need to, to you know, to read a review all the way to the end because sometimes, um, and, and some games that does really fit because some games uh, like, uh, you know, Blood's not reviewing F1 2020, but we just had a uh, after the weekend conversation and he was like, you know, and I'm looking look at this gameplay. It's like, oh my God, this game is so crazy deep. There's so many systems right. that you can do in so many different layers. Oh my goodness. And he's like, yeah. And then I got to this one point where the game just crashes on me by default every single time. It's like, well, it doesn't matter <laughs> about any of this other stuff. That's, that is a, it's a damning thing to happen when you just, it's not like, oh, this part was tricky because of glitches. It's like, it's a brick wall. I am done. You know, and so I think sometimes you you things will surprise you when they pop up in reviews like that, where you're like, ignore everything I just said because it completely doesn't matter. Because you know, Fallout seventy six is a good idea. <laughs> it's like right. this could have been done well, you know. And I will spend time talking about that. But man, like once you really get into it, so I, I th there have been reviews like that where I will like fast forward to the score and I'll be like halfway through it and I'm like, we got it. We haven't we haven't gotten to it, have we? Yeah, the <laughs> bomb. To those parts where you're like, eh, bad news, yeah. folks. That's actually something uh, that I think is very difficult is when, when you're mixed on a game, figuring out where to put the positive parts and the negative parts can completely change the tone yeah. of the review. And it's like, mm -hmm. all the elements are here, but you need to mix it in such a way that that score makes sense at the end. It can be hard. It's, it's a hard yeah. thing to get right. And so as the person who voices a lot of this stuff, I would like, when I see that, you know, moment come, when I see the, the script take a turn, it's like, okay, I try to... You know, if, if I'm like, I don't really sense strong emotions here, so I'm not going to convey that in my, I'm just going to kind of right. do this and this and this and this and like, here we go. <laughs> like then I can really punch those moments where, you know, like, oh no, that there it is. There's that minus 3.0 that yeah. we were looking for or for or whatever. Um, but getting just really quick to comment on what you were saying before, Ben, where, where, you know, where people are like, you know, they have just, you know, crazy expectations over what a six means, what a seven means. It's yeah. Like, I love Taco Bell. If you pull over, if I'm in your, the passenger seat of your car and you pull over into Taco Bell, I'm never going to complain. I'm never going to be like, why no, no, Taco Bell, no. Like, I'm just be like, yeah, great. I'll get my crunch wrap. No, it's fine. And like, I'll get a soft taco and it'd be great. And like, we'll be driving around and I will be eating that soft taco and I will be happy. I will be a happy brand and eating the soft taco. I will not tell you that's the best taco in the world, but I enjoyed that taco. And if you, oh, oh, actually, I'm not going to have my soft taco. You want another one, Jones? Yes, I will eat that taco as well that's kind of like a six and a seven. You know what I mean? It's like, I had fun, but like, yeah, I recognize all sorts of crazy stuff right. in this game. Like I gave Iron Man VR a 7.5. I had a blast playing that game. I was glad that it was the length it was. The areas look awful. <laughs> they just do like, I wasn't, I didn't spend every second of that game being like pew pew, boy, that building looks bad. Like I just kind of got over it right away and then was mm -hmm. able to enjoy the rest of it. But like the fact is still the fact. It's still, it still is the way it is. And so- yeah. That I know it can seem, you know, when you get in between the sixes and the eights, it can be confusing because you're like, wait a minute, like you, it seems like you would have really hated that. And it's like, no, no, no. When you get below a five, that's hate. That That's when, that's when the steam comes out of the ears. That's when the horns pop out and your face turns red. I do think it uh, changes the conversation though, because like you could kind of bounce off your Taco Bell variety. So your, your Taco Bell analogy is, it's like, I think if you said, if you came up with the opinion, like, I don't think Taco Bell is very good. 
I think that is expected because it is this like cheap fast food option that's available everywhere. It's like, it's, well, it's no surprise. But like, if you came out and you said this like five star restaurant was shit, people would have a completely different reaction, right? Yeah. I think Metacritic can change the conversation in a bad way like that, where it's like, it's a 94 game. You can't say that shit. What do you mean you didn't like it? All these other people liked it. And I think that is what is harmful, where it's like, no, I don't hate it. I may even like it a lot. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't be allowed to have these criticisms or like have a conversation about it. And sometimes I think people get a little bit too hung up on the fact that it's like, dude, it won game of the year. Like, what do you mean you don't like it? Like, clearly you're wrong. And it's like, just listen to me for a second, mm-hmm. you know? And so that, that part of it, I don't, uh, yeah. I don't like it all. Um, yeah. Well, it's, it's, I mean, think about it this way. So like you, you all, all of us have conversations with each other where we have talked about games that we were not planning on reviewing and not planning on scoring. Yeah. And so I will, you know, bump into you, Ben, after a weekend and I'll be like, oh my God, like Bravely Default 2 when that comes out, probably not reviewing it. But yeah. like, and if you're not, you know, I'll be like, I haven't had time, but if you play, how, how is it? Um, you know, if you have a big review that doesn't have a score, and I'm sure a lot of people that, that don't score games would prefer you, it's like, just go to our site and read the entire review. Mm-hmm you might have a long explanation of how you thought about a game, but still when I would approach you and be like, how is it that the first sentence out of your mouth is going to inform the rest yeah. of this thing that you tell me, like, just even if you pause, even if I'm like, how is it? And you're like, like, okay, here that, we go. You know, it's like, yeah. and I think that's, what's missing still, you know, even if there's no score, it's like, I just see this like, you know, 800 word piece. And it's like, uh, just good. But yeah, what right. you know it's like just at least because what i love to do after i write a script and finish something i love to find the lowest score and i always read that review because mm. i'm so curious i'm just mm-hmm. like i want to hear what you thought this game was definitely that really kind of helps inform like not necessarily what the right decision is versus the wrong decision but just how different opinions can be someone will think how about different it, yeah. people can approach art or maybe get in the mindset of like what that you know what their expectations were for that series or maybe what they what mood they were in at the time when they played the game and I, it's tough to track that stuff down when you have review you know sites that are just kind of like read the whole thing it's like i don't i, just, I don't have time right. I, I need to, i need a little more information to find the reviews i want to read and not just read everything to then later ah that was the review i should have read hmm. so but it's messy it's messy uh, i have never got yeah. work for metacritic i got no answers <laughs> It's messy. I think the only way that we can solve this problem, audience, is that uh, you only watch Easy Allies reviews and uh, you watch all First, of them. First, you can watch others after, but you nope, know, nope. nope, just us, only us, just us, multiple times. We are the that's law. It. We, we are the law. <laughs> I kid. I, I feel like I have to say that because, like, somebody. Oh out there, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, are we ready for some emails? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah! Hell yeah, brother! Feed me emails. Feed me. Man, you guys, you make you make two hours fly by. You just make fly I know, by. Yeah, oh, yeah. What happened? Where it's does the time go? This has been a quick one. We should do this again. Uh, our first email comes in from Marson. He says, "Hi, Ben and Allies. In the last few weeks, I had EA a lot on my mind. Not Easy Allies, mm. Electronic mm. Arts. He didn't add that. I just wanted to make that clear. I know EA took a pretty big hit with Anthem last year over 
350 jobs lost, mostly in marketing, and got a chance to talk with somebody from EA here in Germany who was very sad, angry, and frustrated losing mm. his job after 14 years at the company. Oof. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, since the launch of Jedi Fallen Order, I realized that in the last few months, EA did many things pre-Anthem EA would never do. Uh, they released the source code for Command & Conquer Remastered and even com other Command & Conquer games. They started releasing EA games on Steam again. Uh, with Star Wars Squadrons, they are bringing out a multiplayer game with crossplay and VR and no microtransactions. They're committed to releasing more games on Switch in the future. To me, all of these points uh, are EA trying to get a better reputation. While none of these points individually are anything special for any other publisher, this whole generation, EA was really never trying that hard to get rid of their crappy reputation. My question is, do you think EA could win this uphill battle next generation and shed their standing as the worst publisher? Do you think it's even possible for EA to have a redemption story like Capcom? Thanks for everything. Stay positive. Oh, Marchin, not Marson. I'm sorry. Marchin. Marchin. Thank you, Marchin. What do we think on EA and their uphill battle? I think they've shown some progress with like um, the lack of microtransactions, a lot of their big games, and like them having publishing good games like Fallen Order and stuff. But there's still all the wonderful microtransactions in a lot of their games, especially like their sports games. And I just see stories about <laughs> people suing EA, <laughs> like countries getting involved because of their gambling practices and stuff like that. And it's just like, man, you do some really cool stuff, but I don't like everything you do. Mm. But of course there is a hope for them. Mm -hmm. Like they can become a better company. They've done better things, but especially if another company does something way worse than them, like, Man, people hated Blizzard for a long time. People still hate Blizzard because they mm -hmm. did a lot of dumb shit. So it's like, man, someone can easily take over that. I think the difference between <clears throat> EA and, and other redemption stories, though, is EA has been kind of the punching bag for so long yes, and so consistently that it's almost become like part of the culture where it's like, oh, True. You, like... <sighs> I'm I'm making this oversimplified because they have earned their reputation. I do believe that. But part of it is like this, like, oh, you're a gamer because you know EA sucks. Ha ha. Like, it's almost part of like the, the language in a way. Um, and I think once you're that deeply embedded, it's a hard thing to completely overcome. But of course, if they keep, yeah. if they make good decisions, I do think it can improve. I don't think it'll like the stigma will ever fully go away. Yeah. But yes, they can improve their image. Yeah. Brandon? I just don't think I've ever liked any of the executives that come out on stage at EA. I think that's like the main <laughs> sure. like, like, yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. I think of. Yeah. That's yeah, what yeah. I think of yeah. is these people, like these are the people that I, you know, <laughs> Like, yeah, there are a lot of microtransactions in FIFA, but they made a lot of money on FIFA. So I don't know if I was in a boardroom, I would tell them they're doing their job wrong. Like, oh, it's exactly. just when they, you know, they have so many things, even like the Sims, like they just have so many franchises that just year in, year out, just turn out the same type of products and, and have the same audience. And it's, they just have never found that balance of like working on, um, special projects like they, they do fun indie games every now and then but i don't i don't get i don't feel ea's hand in that i just think that's mm -hmm. they just get lucky working on you know fun projects because there's just a lot of fun teams out there making neat stuff especially this, this summer we've seen i've like 
I've had like 500 games that I've never heard of before, just like it entered into my brain in the last like couple of months from all the events that we've watched. But I, I still can't fathom the, 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 the clown act that they did with the Star Wars franchise. It just blows my mind just how, especially EA, you know, it's like the, the, that's how so many people across the board in comics and books and film and TV show just ran with it and just did really, really fun things. And, uh, that just in the interactive space that they just got confused over what people would want or what would sell. Uh, and, and so that's the thing that kind of makes me sad about EA is that they have, you know, they're a company that makes a lot of money and that they have this kind of prestige in that, you know, no matter what we say about them, they're going to have some franchises. They're going to sell just gangbusters every mm-hmm. single year that people trust that they depend on that are like some of their favorite games, if not the only game that they play in a year. And then, you know, if it's kind of like being an actor that does like a big budget movie so then you can go do like an art house thing you know so you're just like no no no, i did that thing so i would get some clout get some money in the bank and then i can go do a fun sundance movie you know it's like ea just always just doesn't know how to do that part (laughs) like they don't like yeah we get unravel and we get some other fun things but it it just seems like when they can really think outside the box like squadrons is really great but it's not like an original Star Wars game, you know, it's, it's kind of finally delivering things that they had promised or that Star Wars fans were excited about for a really long time. Whereas I just kind of, I miss, I miss seeing them really take a, a franchise and, and doing something with it that you, you think, wow, no one would be, but EA could do that. Like, I don't know what that means. I don't, mm. I've never really felt that before. So that's what makes me sad. About EA. They got some good uh, developers working with them, which is nice. Respawn, so. baby. Yeah, mm-hmm. respawn is a dude, man. Apex and like Fallen Order, it's like, dude, they are doing EA a big solid. Our next email comes in from old friend Tom Babadil. Oh, Tom Bombadil. Tom Bombadil. 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 <laughs> 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 got him. I I, I got distracted because I think it, it, it wants me to say Nicho. Nicho. Oh, I probably mispronounced that. Old friend Tom Bombadil. Hello, allies. Been listening to the show for a while now. Love it, of course, but this is the first time writing in. It was prompted by a recent gaming experience of mine. Story. Sometime back, uh, we had a day that was so dark and rainy, it practically looked like nighttime. Thunder and lightning boomed and illuminated the sky, respectively. The rain fell down in sheets, and the wind took the trees, bending them to almost touch the ground. This is very uh, literary. I could see why, why your name is the way that it is. It was at this point that I knew I had to play the game, which I had been itching to play, but was waiting for the right time. I dimmed the lights and sat down and played Super Castlevania 4 in one go. Woo! That's the way to do it with Super yeah. Castlevania 4. Uh, needless to say, it was incredibly awesome. I went through the next day and played it again, essentially having my time. Uh, question, has there ever been a time you knew you needed to play a game because of some external event or mood setting happening? Thanks for all you do. Love and respect. There was some night that was raining last October and I was like, okay, <laughs> I got to take advantage because I love October. I love Halloween. I love all that stuff. And mm-hmm. I, try to, I try to cram in as many spooky games as I possibly can. Uh, and I, yeah, I love, cause I do a lot of my gaming, you know, in, in the garage out here. So it's, a, it's a bit like camping. There's a little, a little more dirt, a little more flies and spider webs and stuff, but, uh, um, it's just nice, uh, you know, hear the rain falling on the roof and yeah, it's definitely, I, I just love, love, love when there's heavy rain, heavy weather, like that big wind, um, that can definitely impact, uh, mm-hmm. winds howling can definitely impact your playthrough. Speaking of. Yeah, when it gets like cold, like more winter here, it's not like cold for a lot of people, but colder here, darker earlier. I love getting cozy with like an MMO or something. Yeah. 
just grabbing a blanket, dude, just settling in, getting immersed in that world. Love that. Yes. Um, you know, things, things have been heavy lately. Things have been stressful, anxiety inducing. And, uh, a game that I haven't touched in a long time has kind of popped up and put its own little special star in 2020, and that is Everybody's Golf. It is the oh, right dude. time for Everybody's Golf. Man, nice. There is no better self nice. than like playing with a friend and just doing nine holes. Yeah, just that's really good. Out. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I'm, I want Mario Golf so I bad. know. Yeah, I was thinking. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was thinking about that. It's like, what are you doing? I used to play Mario's Golf with my... Mario's Golf. Mario Golf with my parents. It was great. Dude, that is cool. Yeah, and 64. Like, soccer on the Switch already? Yeah, we had Strikers. Yeah, no golf, man. No, there's not a Strikers on Switch. No, Wii. Sorry, that was Wii. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. For Switch, I don't recall yeah. like sports Mario games, really. Mm. There's like tennis. Olympics. There's tennis, there's right? Tennis was yeah. the one I'm thinking tennis, of. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Tennis, yeah. I want golf. Yeah. Anytime though, we dude. get some Mario sports thing, I'm always like, well, the, the top tier Mario sports game, dude. It's very good. Last email comes in from Boris. Uh, boss battles. Hey, Ben and Allies, are boss battles still exciting? Do you genuinely look forward to fight a boss at the end of a game segment? It can feel satisfying beating a big bad monster, especially when the challenge requires you to use everything you've learned so far. But sometimes bosses feel like everything, like an obligatory element. And you almost hear the designer saying, this is a video game. Of course you fight a boss at the end of a chapter. Mm. That's just how it is. What other ways of satisfying conclusions would you like to see instead? Does it need to be about ultimate challenge? What about a chilled out stage with visual spectacle or emotional transformation of a character and so on? What games successfully replace boss battles with something different but still engaging? Hmm. Yeah, the end of Half-Life 2 is not necessarily a boss battle, but it is memorable. <laughs> you know, it yeah. is definitely a sequence you go through that will feel different from other parts of the game and um, that I very much enjoyed. Yeah, shout out to Fallen Order, which we were just talking about. But like, man, those are some of those Inquisitors. Like when I finally got to fight them, like, oh, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, God, you've been yelling at me from spacecraft this entire game. And oh, God, I'm going to chop you in half. Let's I do this. I think boss battles could be really exciting, but it depends mm -hmm. on the game. Oh, yeah. Especially like, man, I think back on the final boss in Sekiro. That's like one of my favorite boss fights of all time. And I just love that. Like, I would want to replay that all the time if I could. Because like, it's man, one of I should the like best boss get a PC version and just like have a save just for that fight ready to go. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I I love boss battles in many many games. So it's not a, a a thing that I am sick of, and I do agree. It's just case by case, right? Like some of them do feel obligatory, like this this person is saying, and like that's always a shame because it's a perfect opportunity to be a combination of everything the player has learned and really challenge them. That's mm -hmm. what separates. A good game from like an okay one in my opinion mm -hmm. but um like danganronpa has really interesting conclusions to its chapters where you're doing a class trial and it's like you're trying to piece together the evidence of everything that you've learned and investigated up to that point to try to like pin somebody down for murder and so that that's kind of exciting and, and mm -hmm. kind of boss battle -y, of course but a good way of doing it um i think it just depends on the mood of the game right as yeah. well like yeah I don't need boss battles in Animal Crossing, really. Like, I think of, like, Katamari Damashi. I don't remember, like, a boss fight at the mm. end of the game. And it still felt good when I finally, like, beat the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I always think, whenever I think about Bloodborne, man, those bosses were fun. But those hunters 
were ever. oh my god yeah the hunters because just in the streets because some bosses I, I would be like what am i what am i missing there's some mechanic that i just don't understand and then i would like come to work and you guys would be like oh you need this item or you need it's when they do this attack and it's yeah. like oh thank you okay that was the thing that i was missing whereas with these each hunter it's like you just gotta not die man <laughs> you just gotta they are you they're they, they you, do yeah. a lot of the same stuff you can mm -hmm. and so you just gotta move a lot and uh anytime i would see those god i would just hunker down i would almost kind of like expect to die like the first couple times mm -hmm. i would play soul's boss where i'm just like i'm gonna do this to die i'm gonna do this to see where the weak spots are to see where what what attacks do what damage and how much range i have and so on whereas like every time i would just spot a hunter i'd be like okay okay <laughs> let's do this and, like, i'd probably get taken out the first couple times but I was definitely way more committed to to killing him. Loved that. Uh, they should maybe put Bloodborne out on PC. That'd be nice. Nope. Put it out on PS5 too. Just give me it again. Just give me it again. It's I'll nice buy it two much. more times. I don't yeah. care. No. You know how many versions of Dark Souls I have? I have like five. Yeah. I, I've got a lot of versions of Dark Souls as well. It's true. Thank you to everybody who wrote in an email. If you would like to send an email into this show, the address is askeasyallies at gmail.com. One more time, that is askeasyallies at gmail.com. Thank you so much to my guests, Brandon Jones and Bradley Ellis. Yay. Fun times. Fun yeah. times indeed. You want to find out more about us, go to patreon.com slash easyallies. You know the drill. Until...